I was there at the dawn of the second season of the Proof of Exchange. It was a port of call for fans from a hundred fandoms. It could be a dangerous place, but we accepted the risk because the Proof of Exchange was our last best hope for conversation. This is our story. I enjoyed the gathering more than I thought I would. Are we discussing no, now? I'm just, <laughs> no, I just felt I just saw the box on my little table here, and I thought to myself, I enjoyed the gathering more than I thought I would, and thought I would share with a friend. Yeah, it was good to go back to it. Well, parts of it I know are left open ended, and parts of it I know don't work, but and parts of it are explained later, but I can't remember what's explained later and what doesn't work. And, and it, exactly, it's been a while for me. The last B five stuff I, I had anything to do with was actually the Lost Tales. Yes, which, which was which very disappointing. It, Despite the low budget, I thought it was a very good story. You know what it was? It was like an after-school play, because it you could was. tell they had two sets and, and all that crap. Yeah. Want, There's want, a lot of dark in the background a lot of times. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about the show is because... Well, it gets... I don't want to start. We have... It's the five of us, Now, right? it's both... Yeah, it's you, us, and... I thought it was the ten of us. Just the ten of us. Editor, drop in the theme. And I know I can win it, because I'm learning the rules of the game. If I can stay on the ball, take it minute by minute, I'll just not make the Hall of Fame. What can I say? I'm doing it the best I can. Leaning on nobody but me. Oh, seeing it from where I stand. Nothing comes easy. Stop saying that until you want to volunteer to edit, because then I'm like, okay, now I have to go find, or I have to cut you out saying oh, because I was going to insert myself saying, like, no way, because you said that in the one I'm editing now, but Ryan was talking over you, saying a BSG spoiler, so there's no way I could remove it. What did I say? I, for, um, I forget what it was, but it was like, I think it was, <laughs> we, were, we were talking about that, because I was able to actually edit most of it, most of it, so that it's pretty entertaining. If I could people. leave in my, the reason for Mike's departure and edit out Sam's gender, I think anything is possible in the end. Seriously, yeah, I, that was I, I took it, I literally, thing. I left in all the BSG sports, every other noun with a, <laughs> so it's like people are, so you'll be like going along. Oh, Kara could see the... Oh, <laughs> oh goodness. Excellent. All right, I am going to grab some more coffee. Yes, I know. I no, you, no, not I, coffee. Oh, God, no, 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 not the jet fuel. Not All right, no, I got rid of the jet fuel. I wasn't a fan of the jet fuel. So when did you move back home? All. Last week. I completely I missed it. I'm so sad. Almost sort of kind of inefficial college graduate. <laughs> But you walked across that? stage. That was me clapping. What is, oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I didn't. I had to come home. Oh, oh my God. Me. Look at Aaron's icon. Hold on. Oh, yes, my God. <laughs> you guys didn't notice that? Is the thing from last week or whatever. It's the one gay unicorn. It was Pee Wee Herman playing Captain John. It's not Picard. the one gay unicorn. It's some it's, other. It's, it's, the, like it's, the, it's the captain. It's the pirate Captain Picard on yeah. the unicorn. That that's even okay. gayer than the one gay unicorn. He's, he's incredibly homosexual. It's incredibly homosexual. That's exactly right. All right. I am. No, well, no, no. It, it's it's not homosexual. It's damn gay. There's that's, that. There's that. It's 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 it's. It, it actually is pretty homosexual. <laughs> 
it's also ridiculously awesome. I have somebody that doesn't use the word that way. Hate this. I would like to point out, by the way, I was listening to the final episode of the Pufwa a couple days after we recorded it, because I wanted to see if we were able to capture whatever that oomph was that Renner was drinking on air. And I'm listening to Aaron type. And I, I, I sent him a message on this. I'm like, I've always thought his his typing had a particular, you know, sound to it that was familiar. He sounds like a 1950s typewriter in the background. Like, what kind of equipment yes, do you have? that's it. Okay, now, this episode, what was the number of the last episode we did? 113. No, pull for exchange. There's one more. There's one more to come out. So whatever it is, add to. Well, that was. I knew that. I was just asking what the last one. Well, I didn't know if you knew that. Don't take that tone with me. All right, this is gonna be episode twenty-five. Okay, thank you. So are we? We're actually releasing "Let Bartlett Be Bartlett" as twenty-four. Yes. Awesome. And Mike will randomly appear and like me again. Then he'll be going again. Episode, okay, so this is 25. Mike's from the past. Yeah. The Puffo Exchange was the only time in Puffo history I actually yelled at Mike because he just wasn't getting it. I'm like, shut up! Shut, shut up, up, Wesley! Wesley. <laughs> Shemesh has done that more often, or less often. I know, which, you know, it One was, or the other. The, the West Wing episode, the plot line was um, presidential staffer, you know, giant Here we go, brain, West Wing, take a yes, drink. Giant brain, brilliant guy, has his buddy testify before a Senate committee on his his company, while the, the White House staff are big brain buy stock in the company. And right after the guy testifies, the stock takes off. So now they're looking at him as like this, you know, illegal thing where he, you know, got the guy to testify so he'd make money and stuff like that. The problem you is... You could have subbed that up in two words, I insider trading. Well, it, yes. But the problem is, the guy doesn't understand the first thing about economics, and the way he puts it in the episode is if I sat here and typed up his testimony for him, I still wouldn't know what the hell he's talking about. So he, he what, there was no insider training, and Mike, Mike's like, "Well, clearly he he scammed the stock market." I mean, that's what I could. I'm like, "Did you watch the episode? It's not what happened." All right, sorry, I needed okay, to get that. What, what is this file I've been sent? You're you're gonna want to accept it, P.S. Oh, this is hysterical. This, this hysterical. goes back to something else that came up in uh, a recent episode. All right, let me just see if Scott's here now, or if we're gonna have them after. And he also said there was a storm moving in, which made me nervous. So I'm like, okay. Okay. All right, Aaron. W- w- now we have to figure this out. What this is? Why only you have this like typewriter thing going on here? Do you have like the world's loudest keyboard or something? Does it go? Does it go ding at the end? Like. Sh- <laughs> 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 no, that'd be awesome if it did. Though I would, I would probably. And I feel bad. You know? I'm like, can, I'm like, can you try and type softer? It's like I don't know why it's only. No. You know what I hate more than anything? Commercials. I really hate commercials that use typing. Oh, I just thought you hated commercials. Your iPhone cut out there for a second. Yeah, I thought she was getting a commercial in the middle of the podcast. Exactly. So, okay. A commercial for the iPhone. I think I I, I love this thing so much, I would do a commercial for it. Ah, phone. Scott, you in? Hi, everyone. Hey, Hey, Scott. I'm so excited. Well, I am so happy you're so excited. All right, here we go. Okay, can you guys hear me now? Yes. Yes. Well, after now, no. Before now, yes. No, like right now, like currently, right now. Can yes, you hear yes, me? Yes, can you hear we can. Me? Well, yeah. if it was okay. one of those, can you hear me now? Fuck you all. And <laughs> we... no, no, no. It's because it's because I'm. I just wanted to know if I could, because this thing like hangs down, uh-huh. and it's kind of near my mouth, but I would didn't know if I had to hold it up so it was. Well, closer. try and drop it when Aaron's typing, and then we can just edit the entire thing out at once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so funny. All right, you guys ready to go? Ready to go. All right, Aaron, you ready to go? <laughs> what the hell kind of keyboard do you have? Stop. Did it really come to that loud? Yes, it came Stop. Stop. 
even listening to the podcast? <laughs> it's a bad keyboard. It's like this in the background. What, you can hear this? I'll try and talk. I'll type softer. <laughs> Robert in the uh, in the three broomsticks jacks up the background loud track. It's fine. <laughs> that's the that's the dirty secret is that we have the background track to disguise my keyboard typing. <laughs> Death roll. I'm P.S. I'm Scott. There you go. Look at that. We're all speeding this up now because we all want to go to bed later. Now, you <laughs> may not have listened to the Pofo Exchange before. If you haven't, I have no earthly idea how you found us now or why you're listening to us now. But just in case, we are the Pofo Exchange. We are formerly of Potherfic Weekly, which we talked about Harry Potter and Ginny and, and garden gnomes. Ron Weelai and uh, Hermione. Hermione boats. There were drunk people in boats. We've talked. We've talked. Draco Malfoy. Talked about Draco Malfoy. Draco Malfoy. Draco Malfoy. There, was, there was a tent. Snape. Harry in a tent. It's not as bad as it sounds. They were there. Um, Lavender Brown. Good God. Um, Bagels. Uh, the, the people Bagels. were shaking. Flicking serious. People were shaking hands all over the place. It was a Arthur mess. Sausage. Arthur. That was not my fault. My iPod yes, sped up too far. All right. It so was absolutely your fault. We are here. We are the Puffo Exchange. We are going to be talking about many different fandoms over the next few weeks, months, years, and God knows we're going to even have more faux pas, and we're probably going to get sued by the federal government at one point, but we're going for it. So tonight, we are start kicking off our second season by discussing the Babylon 5 pilot movie, The Gathering, which I have previously referred to as the worst movie ever. It has been my little nickname for it, but I actually enjoyed it much more tonight than I have in the past, so I may have to... Start. Should we introduce ourselves in case this is the first time people are hearing us. Well, would you would you like to introduce yourself, little one over in the corner? Say hi. I don't know. I was no, no, say wondering. hi. Please, please. Now there's people wondering who the hell you are. Please. Hi. Hi. Yes. I'm, I'm from Maryland. She, she enjoys hey, horror slughorn, her iPhone. She was once suspected of murder. This is Death Roll. He lives in Massachusetts. He has a very large mustache, and he's not feeling very well this week, but he's still here. Really large mustache? That's... Re- really large mustache. He does. It is, is really large. This is Aaron. He actually owns a typewriter, and you're going to hear it throughout this episode, because every time <laughs> he wants to draw a note down to himself, you're going to hear it when it reaches the end of the thing and dings back to the beginning. And he's going to fall asleep. And he'll, and he'll fall asleep. I feel bad that he gets the falling asleep thing, because that, yeah. that's happened to everyone. I, yeah. I, 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 I literally the only did guy. fall asleep once. I know, but the I problem is Aaron fell on his once. headset and started snoring. And the problem what. is Aaron fell asleep in what he claimed was his favorite fic. Somebody fell asleep. I can hear somebody snoring. <laughs> I wondered what that noise was. <laughs> Aaron, are you there? Somebody make a note. Yes, this is true. That was unfortunate. I have to say, it I have never fallen asleep while recording a podcast. Oh, Scott, he's one of the Pofwa guys. He still works there. Oh my gosh. And he's still talking about Hermione and, and Harry's tent and, and the shaking of the hands. So if you're listening to us tonight and you're like, you know, my God, I'm bored out of my mind, go listen to Parfait Weekly. I used to work there. 
So did I. So did I. Well, that's what worked there for the last day. He was like the mid. I was a. I was a temp. He was. Yeah. Exactly. I was a temp, and I finally made full time status, and then the company shut down. Exactly. It changed owners. You were like the guy, like who gets hired at Circuit City three weeks before the closing because they don't trust their own people. Yeah. Push it, click it, press it, flick it, tune it in, turn it on. This is what you watch it on. Any way you work it, integrate your circuit at the city. Circuit City. Come to the place you're welcome. Technology with a heart. Welcome to Circuit City. Great services, state-of-the-art. All right, so tonight we are doing Babylon 5. Well, we're doing the pilot movie tonight. We're going to discuss it, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to cover the entire series. We are going to approach this from the perspective of new listeners. Sorry, Aaron had to clear his throat there. Like the rovers on Mars, those things that just won't die, they have the same headset. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I wish they had a <laughs> and headset. You, you, have to, you have to know also that I'm sitting perfectly still in my, my chair, and every move is calculated and, and very slow, <laughs> and I'm just trying desperately not to have everything I do picked up because that is bad or something. Did you buy this thing at like a flea market or something? Where did you buy this? Did you buy it at like a at like a defense contract like place? Did you buy it like from? Did you need to show your security clearance at the defense contract place? Like for the government? Was it made for the government? I know what the government is, but where the man goes when he needs to get the thingy? Oh my god! All right. (laughs) Okay, so what we are going to department for the states? Notice I'm trying to be on track here because I actually Mm -hmm. love Babylon Five. All right, so we are going to. Hey, I resent that. I love Babylon Five too. You didn't love. You didn't love Harry Potter. Is that why we did that for three years? Because you didn't love. Harry Potter and you'd rather talk about toilets? Well, after the th- during the third year, I don't think I actually talked about the Harry Potter very much, but I still continue to love Harry Potter. I don't Potter. think any of us did. I talked a lot sure. about uh, HGTV. No, actually, yes. Sure yes, you did. In the last few weeks, it became Battlestar Galactica slash PS Advice on Technology. <laughs> I have two things here. One says mute and one says hold, and I want to know what happens when I push it. So what I want to ne- want to do is I'm going to keep making noise. Well, and well here's the thing. Noise. Hold, you won't be able to hear us. Mute, we won't be able to hear you. Correction. Hold, well, that, that's essentially correct. Well, it's both. It's both it's, for hold. I just had mute on. and we, Yeah, mute you. means you can't speak to yeah. us, but you can still hear us. I am going hold, to click the mute it's button right cut now, off. and I'm going to keep talking. Are we going to hear now? elevator music? <coughs> yeah, Here I am back. We, yeah, we couldn't and hear you. And let's later. see what oh, else God. this button Can you does. hear us now? <laughs> yes. Okay. Hold, you went away, too. And I assume yes. you couldn't hear me while you were on hold. I'm because... <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is so cool. Oh, good God. I just love the fact that we cracked this technology and PS is able to have it. And you know what else? Phone. You know what else? Okay, okay, okay. I can push the button and, like, go away from the call, and I can do other stuff while talking on the phone. Like, right now, I'm looking at the weather. I can actually, I can find out what the weather is for you guys. It's sunny and 82, isn't it? Yeah, everyone but Death will hang up. I'm going to hang up. Wait, how do I, ha- how do I hang up on this? Turn the phone. Click the face. red button. Yeah, well, I was, well, she was buying an iPhone and she had a lot of questions. Ah, uh, I have it now. I have it now. <laughs> she, I think she just kissed Saul. I think she did too. I did. I did just kiss Saul. Okay, Saul yes. is the phone. Can we Her iPhone is named Saul. Which is a segue into...
the wrong series, unfortunately. Was a, yeah. What was the thing that someone said, when PS fell asleep in the last episode of the Puff was someone said something in PS hurts oh, yeah. all tie? Yes, I did. Somebody said that that was the. I think that is the only evidence of falling asleep because the first time I fell asleep, I didn't identify myself. I just kind of surreptitiously woke awake, woke myself up. You woke and awake. Then, <laughs> yes, I did. And then she's very excited. She's the author, somebody, somebody she's remembering said, her excitement at the time. That's what it is. Somebody has said something like salty, <laughs> and I thought they said salty. I don't think that's what it was, but I'm glad to know it woke you up out of a sound sleep. All right, so Babylon Five. What we are going to do is much like on Perfect Weekly, we tried not to spoil you for chapters ahead. You'll remember the time when Hermione Granger was alive. I thought she was dead, and no one would tell me. And I looked like a like a jackass for the entire episode. It's going to be like that. Hey, hold the phone now. You'll remember the time when Hermione Granger was dead. I thought she was alive, and no one would tell me. And I looked like a like a jackass for the entire episode. It's going to be like that. So we are going to be discussing The Gathering tonight. We're not going to spoil you for what's coming ahead. So if you would like to watch the series with us, we will not spoil the ending, even though in the first episode they kind of tell you the ending, but it still doesn't spoil the thing. The guy is an incredible writer. Uh, Just to clarify, I've seen the whole series. I've seen the movies. I've seen the spinoffs. I've seen the really, really, really bad spinoffs. And I've seen The Lost Tales. So have I. You've seen everything. I have definitely seen everything. I have seen part of the way through... Season three. I don't want to give any identifying information that would help you guys figure out. How Do you far remember a lot of it though? Fairly some. Like I, re- I mean, this was like two years ago, and I've watched other things since. Because I remember at the time I was watching this and Who, and then I was like, okay, as like a favor to Chi, I'm going to power through Who and not be watching two things at once. And then when I'm done that, I'll watch something Ryan wants me to watch, and what you wanted me to watch instead was BFG. Right. Now, the. the and here we are today. Well, the reason I asked was I actually asked you about a major plot point and you didn't remember it. So that, that makes me feel good that you're that you're going to be actually oh. surprised again by some things. Oh, okay. I mean, I remember there's some stuff I remember and there's some stuff I don't. Now, Aaron, how far. You've just seen The Gathering? Uh, a few minutes ago, I restarted my computer. And during those three minutes my computer was off, I watched the end of the episode for the first time ever. So, oh, very fresh in my mind. Oh, very good. Very good. Scott, you've just seen The Gathering? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Scott's mm-hmm, so they, they make me feel so bad. And this, actually, this was my yeah. first time watching The Gathering, because even though I've seen part of the series before, I started with okay. TV episode one and mm-hmm. not with it. Now, did, did anyone watch it on Hulu? I have any uh, curiosity. Did anyone watch it online? Because the reason is... there's Hilo? Hilo crashed my computer. Hilo, whatever that... Well, it, you know, you've got to move past that, because you're a Mac user now. Now, the reason I no, asked I'm is, not. I'm not. You have an iPhone, and you love it. Is that count as a Mac? You're one of us. You're one of us from Apple. You're one of us. We are the Bulwark. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Now, the thing is, is that when this series came out, when The Gathering was made, we should start from the beginning. Babylon 5 was created by... Oh, that's the next movie. Which, what's the next movie? In the beginning. In the beginning is actually the next movie. It was made four years later, but it is the next movie. But it takes place before it. It's very confusing. I know. I don't understand. I can't figure it out. All right. So dude don't named... Don't say things like that. Dude, well... I'm confused. Okay. Well, there, that happens a lot. Now, yeah. dude named Nothing J. Good. Michael Straczynski, JMS is how we'll refer to him. Well, he He's a terrific writer. He's a writer, director, producer. He has done a lot of really obscure stuff for those who are interested. I know him from comics. He used to write for He-Man, mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. old school 80s He-Man. 
And the masters of the universe. He used to write for the Mur- cartoon. He used to write for Murder She Wrote, and apparently he had like a tiff with Angela Lansbury or something. I can't remember. Cool. Exactly. Up why I know the name. How many people Spider-Man. alive can say yeah, they had a tiff? He had a run on exactly. Spider-Man, didn't he? He's a stellar writer, and he's one of those really gifted guys. He's hysterical to listen to. He's a really, really good guy. And the thing about JMS, which I always loved when the show was on the air, was that he would spend most of his evenings on early message boards just talking to the fans and and responding to the fans. Because you have to understand, this is the time when when the internet was kind of coming out, and, and that wasn't how things were done. Now you have podcasts and blogs and everything. You really didn't have that then. So he was incredibly accessible to the fans, which I always really liked when the show was on. Star Trek was sci-fi. Star Trek worked, nothing else did. And yeah. you you wouldn't see a lot of science fiction shows really put on the air. So he had a really hard time getting the show going. And what eventually happened was it, the show got picked up for something like half of the budget of Star Trek at the time. So in place of these you know, awesome sets and terrific special effects. The show, it was one of the first shows to use computer animation, CGI. You know, in at the time, it was very, very basic. And they, I believe huh, they... <laughs> you think? And, and I, in, in The Gathering, this is the redone special effects. Just let you know this. Oh, the one that we saw yes. on the DVD was the redone special effects? I believe it was redone. Yes. A lot of it was redone. Really? It, it was the remastered version. This is like a special cut or something. Yes, because it was... It is. And, what, and they actually, what they did was they... they rented or they bought i believe they rented an old jacuzzi warehouse is where the sets were so when you know most of the star trek guys and they're on the lots and they're you know they work right next to the sound stage for you know this show and that show and the other thing these guys were like off by themselves in the corner doing their own show so they all became very tight with each other the cast the crew everyone and i love just the concept of Babylon 5, because I guess it was a really great family atmosphere behind the set. And what you would have happen is uh, there was a bad earthquake during the filming of the show. So you had, um, you know, the producers send the, the crew basically home with everybody to help fix their houses. And they were trying to unionize a lot of the crews at the time. This crew volunteered not to unionize to, to help save money and help keep the show on the air. And there's a story, Doug Nether, one of the producers, every year it was going to be the show's last year. Never The ratings were never stellar, but they were just good enough, but it was just so difficult to keep the show going that one year the money wasn't put in the budget for the show. There was an assumption that the show had been canceled when it wasn't. So all of a sudden now, you, you were going into year three, we don't have a budget. So one of the producers funded the show out of his own pocket until they could get things going again. So people really loved working on the show. And sometimes you watch shows and it's, you can tell these people don't know what the hell they're doing or they're phoning it in. It was never the way with this show, which is one of the reasons I really, really loved it when it was on. Yeah, this has a really, even just watching it on the screen, it has a good cast of people that mm-hmm. you see. And they obviously care because every single one of these actors gives it their all. Yeah. Each and every time they come on screen, there's, what would you say, seven major yeah. characters. And I, I don't ever feel throughout the series that any of them is ever phoning it in. Right. And there were ob- there's obviously going to be some issues behind the scene that, that we'll talk about when we get there. I don't want to jump too far ahead on any of that. But it is a really great – Just you can tell these people love working with each other. They, re- they love tweaking each other and poking each other, and, and they love just working with each other. There was a lot of sadness. Uh, several members of the cast have since passed away since the show ended. Some quite suddenly, some were ill. I listened to the Babylon podcast, which I recommend to everyone. It's a podcast that goes behind the scenes, and it's made up of the, the hosts are geeks, and they have guests on who were members of the cast and crew. And one of the hosts is actually one of the former producers of the show, who 
is married to the actress Pat Tallman, who plays Lita Alexander. The oh, I didn't know that. He is married to Pat Tallman, and he also played Kosh. He was the guy behind no the kidding. show. No kidding. And he's one of the That's hosts of in the, uh, in the environmental suit. Yeah, the guy he, walking around in the suit. Exactly. That's awesome. And he brings on, because he knows everybody, so he'll have on, for example, a guy who played Veer, Stephen First, and he got everyone. They don't know who that is. Stop spoiling. That's true. Well, there's a guy named Veer. I remember There's a guy named Veer who will come on at some point. But anyway, so. Um, I listened to the Jerry Doyle interview, actually. It was really good. Did Jer- you enjoy it, Ryan? Jerry Doyle. Hey, Ryan. Yes. I absolutely did. Jerry Doyle is, is one of the smartest guys. And I just I disagree with him on probably half of everything he says, but I would listen to him anywhere. What's up, yes? I was asked, does that podcast assume you've seen the whole thing or what? Like, is it uh, go for, like, we are? What is it? Can I listen to it now? Or? I don't recall. I think if you listen to some of the early episodes, I know they do a thing where they go through the entire series. watch the entire series, but I, I honestly believe they may assume that you've seen it. Okay, I'll wait then. I just, yeah. I'm looking for podcasts I, to listen to on Saul. On Saul? Oh, on your yeah. iPod. Oh, I thought you wanted like the Salt High podcast. I was very confused. No, no, no. <laughs> no we're I'm sure she'd listen iPhone. to that too. Come on. Exactly. Ah, uh, phone. So, okay. so anyway, this is the show that, this is the little show that could, it never had a great time slot. In some areas it was on Wednesday nights at nine, which is terrific. In other areas it was on Tuesdays at three thirty in the morning and then they would move it to, so you really had to want to watch it. And people yeah. did because the show was just that good. And when you, when you watch it today, you'll know, like I'll know this a little bit more because I'm older and I've seen some different stuff. And because there's been progress, you know, the CGI will look even faker than it did before. And the sets <laughs> will look even faker than they did before. But to give you some idea, I've just watched every episode of Lost in like two months. I just barreled through Lost. And getting into some of the last episodes, I've actually not enjoyed it that much because I'm like, I, I really love it. But some of the last episodes, I'm like, it seems a lot like Babylon 5, and I liked that better. So, you know, there's a lot of really, really great stories, and I'm going to really enjoy getting into the show. So, Basically, what you're saying is I've seen Babylon 5, I don't need to watch Lost. Yeah, you're, well, you're going to go through it, and you're going to be like, ah. If there's a little guy in a shower curtain on Lost, I'm quitting in the last episode. Like, <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, okay, that's enough. Yeah, can we just say, I'm sure if they had a bigger budget, Kosh would have looked different. <laughs> I actually thought it, it was I, very, yeah, very I, actually thought- I think it's Fine. That was one of the best parts of the episode for me. It's a pretty creepy thing. I mean, it's like, you know, this big old thing that's in this suit because it can't live in the in the world. And I, I am I am putting right out here, I'm going to make a prediction that that is lie, a lie. I think that these things can really live in our air, and I think they're just doing it to mess hide what they look like. Yeah, All right. Your, yeah, your prediction is thing. duly noted. Duly noted. I'm, I'm in a second... Yes, on that one. Wayne, I know you're listening. Wayne, I know you're out there. Wayne, write that down. Email it. Thank you. (laughs) Seriously, we need a secretary to keep track of all these things. (laughs) We really do. Because it was very interesting with the whole idea of the environment suit. And they handled, I thought, the presence of aliens on the show really well. They had a whole alien sector with different ways to populate the atmosphere and pressure and they can even change the gravity if they want to. Wasn't Kosh yeah. the first one? It, seemed to, it struck me that Kosh was the first one that couldn't live in the air. It it's I mean, definitely it like not was... the case. He's the first one we saw. The hierarchy, oh, okay. of, the show, the hierarchy of the show, and you don't see this in a lot of other sci-fi 
shows, like for example, Star Trek. Basically, all of the aliens on Star Trek kind of live on M-class planets, and they all came to space like exactly yeah. the same time. That the Vulcans were like a couple hundred years before us, but we all kind of we like Cardassians are you know are a good match against the Romulans, who are a good match against the Klingons. Yeah. Everyone's got the thing about Babylon Five, which I really like, is some races have been in space for thousands of years, and some of us got here Tuesday. And yeah, yeah. There's wild differences between them. So the Vorlons, this point in the series, are the oldest race that we know. No one knows what they look like. They live in these suits. They can't breathe our atmosphere. One of their ships could probably take out our entire fleet. So we're kind of at their mercy. If they wanted to come after us, they certainly could probably kill everybody. After the Vorlons, you have the Mimbari, who are the bald ones. They're, they're the bald guys. They're Danielle with, Rousseau. With that, Danielle Rousseau. Yeah. On their heads. Exactly. And they're the boneheads. And they've been out for maybe 10, 15,000 years. Oh, is that a bone? Is that part of their body? I thought it was just a hat. Nope, that's yeah, actually it's a, bone. a bone. Now, you're going to notice that. Um, Do we want to go through the order of the races? We can. Let's go from advanced down. So at the, Well, we did the Minbari. From there, it would definitely be the Centauri. The Centauri are next. The Centauri are the United States 50 years from now, is how I will refer to them. They, uh, I, I hope yeah, that's they will not. fair. They will not. Uh, the, They're the way, sort of like ancient Greece, only yes. it's been their past. Yeah, they have a, I think uh, they're like Rome, because aren't they a republic? That was, oh, they're like... Star Wars. Yeah. Thank they you both public. for mentioning those because I didn't have to tell them and worry about spoiling you guys. Either of those is a good analogy. Yeah, the Centauri are. Are you race... spoiling? Worried about spoiling people for Roman history? <laughs> yes. No, they don't really. Do, I don't really think they go into the systems of government too much in the pilot here. Well, it's yeah, a republic. I thought, it's I, thought, well, republic. I thought they said something about that it had been an empire and was now a republic because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's I missed it. Not, it was, that out. Yeah. The Centauri, exactly. they have they have an, they have um, an emperor, and they and they have so so there there is um, you know like a monarchy to, to the thing. Um, I, they have the Centaurum, which I believe is their governing body, which you'll hear about yes. later on. Yes. The Centauri used to be the big guys in the block. Um, they were the, the Mimbari outclass everyone. The, the Mimbari are very powerful. The, the, oh, yes. The Vorlons are infinitely more powerful than the Mimbari, but the Mimbari are the big dudes on the block. After that... The Mimbari whooped our asses. Right. If it's a building, the, 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 the yeah. Vorlons are on the top floor. They're on the hundredth floor. You they're in the penthouse. They're in the penthouse. The Mimbari are kind of like on the thirtieth floor. Let's Narn finish the, the list. The Centauri are down Centauri. on like the fifteen, and we're on like the twelfth. So where yep. are we... There's a big gap between the Mimbari and the Vorlons. This, the Centauri's time has passed. They used to subjugate the Narn. They, the Narn and the Centauri are in this eternal struggle with each other. Yeah. Uh, they're probably mm-hmm. relatively equal. And then Earth is the rapidly expanding power. We're new to the block, but we can certainly hold our own. Surely because we've only been there for a very brief period of time, and we're running Babylon 5, and we're on the advisory council, we're up there, and then there's the extras. There's all these other races that apparently don't get to sit yeah. at the table. They sit over in the bleachers. It, it well, they can be part of the various... Really, they were like the four races. Like there were, at first, I thought there only were four. And the, then it turned yeah. out... No. Mm-hmm. no, there's the five. There's the, there's the four five. votes, and then... Oh, wait, there's a fifth one. And... Yeah. There's the five major powers, and then there's all the other guys. And the way it actually yeah. works is I believe all of the other guys together get one vote. And I, it was never clear to me watching the show, like, how weak these these dimwits are, apparently, that they don't even get to... How well, they're not major powers. They're not major powers, so they're invited... The Mimbari, to- as we've said, have been around for, you know, a few thousand years. Right. 
exploring the stars. Aaron, stop with your typewriter. Uh, <laughs> that was me cracking my knuckles. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. I think he's just doing it to mess with us like Kosh. No, I'm, I'm really not doing that on purpose. Kosh was cracking his knuckles Sending to miss that part. Perfectly Kosh. still. Kosh is like a fortune cookie. <laughs> and, and then the, the Centauri have, have been out there, but they're... Because you have to break right, him so open to see what's fading. inside. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it would have helped, huh? And I didn't really get the sense, at least, and I'm going to speak strictly in terms of the pilot here, that the Narn really qualified as being a more necessarily advanced race. There is than nothing the that said the Narn are more advanced than us. Really. Because the, he, the, the, he referred the to them as the youngest. He did. He did, and I wrote that down because the Narn. I've always assumed have been in in space longer than the humans. I always watch the show assuming that we came after them and that they were all out there first. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but... I almost wonder if youngest means civilization-wise, like they could have developed space travel before we did. It took us, you know, we've had our civilization, you know, since... So it could be that the the Narn didn't take as long as we did, you know, which was, you know, from like 10,000 B.C. to 1960s. You're able to pull together from everything here in the pilot that the Narn used to be the slaves of the Centauri. So it's not all that far of a stretch to say that they didn't actually develop technology, but they acquired it through other means. Yeah, I think I I would assume that the Centauri found them as a non-space flight capable people. Which they honestly may have, and I'm going to go forward assuming that the humans are the youngest race. And that that was because in the early episodes there are actually mm-hmm. um, some things which which are, which are tweaked in the plot. Like in, there's going to be an early episode where they refer to the two casts of Mimbari. There's actually three in the in the pilot movie. The talk of the Mimbari Grey Council forces to land nearly kill Jakar. Do not mention them. You know, in the, they're this mysterious body. Whereas I think in the series proper, the Grey Council are, are, are kind. Of, you you could wiki them. You know what I mean? Like it's. Not, it's like, <laughs> Really jumped on him. Now, fun yeah. fact, fun fact, in the original version, or not the original version, in the original um, thought process for, for, for the show, uh, Delenn was actually going to have a male voice. It would be She would be played by Mary Furlan, but she, they were going for androgynous as much as possible with her. Her makeup will become much less severe in the series itself. I actually think she looks... Almost like a Narn hybrid in, in in the in the pilot. Yeah, she didn't look like like I've seen some of, enough of the series to think that that was out of character for the yeah. And also, I thought I thought the design for the Mithari looked different than the way it does. Well, there's one scene at the end where she comes in. It's Sinclair is is fighting the the, the Mimbari there. She comes in and she like fireman lifts Garibaldi out of there. I'm like, I've never seen Jalen be able to pick up. Me. Garibaldi before. That's fascinating. I thought it was great. I commented on that as well. Yeah, that was great. So that's where the, the show pretty much began. I think JMS did an okay job. Of, you understand in this one, he has to set up an entire universe and a story and characters. And I think there's parts of this film that he did an okay job. There's parts where I think it bombed. Uh, and I'm watching the revised cut. This isn't the one that originally aired. So I'm watching like the improved version. And there's still mm-hmm. areas where it, it, it kind of drove me nuts. I, 
Like, for example, right at the beginning, you have Lita Alexander sign aboard the station, and you have Sinclair walking her to her quarters. And that just felt like total exposition. Like, her looking up to him. Yeah. Now, why is this Babylon 5? What happened to 1, 2, 3, and 4? And I'm like, that's but like walking think- down the street in New York as an American saying, now, what happened to the World Trade Center? You know, for those well, of us who well, are... Bu- <laughs> what yeah. bugged yeah. me about it was that they're walking... It- along and he's guiding her through the alien sector and he's like your room's right over there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like what's that that's an alien like you'd think somebody that lived had lived in this society even if she'd never been off of earth would know be right. more familiar with yeah yeah like th- that would, would be- know it- would know about the first four Babylon. Yeah, that would be, for example, the Statue of Liberty disappeared today. You think that would make the news? So that two, three, four years later, someone might be able to piece. She it was out. sitting an exam that day. <laughs> exactly. I thought that was. She was better. just out at the um, university or whatever. Well, what killed me was there were parts where school. there were parts where the writing was so sharp, like the scene with Catherine and Jeff when he tells her that he fought in the Battle Who's of the Catherine? Line. Oh, Catherine's Catherine girlfriend. Is his Carol, Carolyn. I'm Love her. Sorry. Carolyn, um, she finds his medal on the floor from serving in the Battle of the Line, which was the suicide mission. And she's like, I never knew you served at the Line. That's the way to do it. Don't have her be like, what was the Battle of the Line? Like, you missed it. Well, like, yeah, I love how she calls like, it the Line and not say the Battle of the Line. Or- well, at the very end, I like that, too. I'll wait, but not too much longer. I won't wait forever. I liked that, too, because he's not leaving the station, yeah. and she doesn't want to split them. So I, I, I liked him a lot. He's a very interesting character. The portrayal of the character is, can be very stiff of Sinclair. He has range issues. He almost reminds me at times of Jerry Stiller trying to use his indoor voice, but not really succeeding. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. So, so he'll be, like, way over the top, or he'll be very, very muted. Sometimes He has difficulty. Like, he, he has this dramatic, like, captain voice, and, like, all these... You know, spaceship captains have this voice where they they start to make a declarative statement, except he uses it a little too much. Yeah. Well, I don't think... like, I am going to get a cup of coffee. (laughs) I'm going to get a cup of coffee. Would you like anything? And how may I sex you up today? Well, the problem was the character of Laurel Takashima. Lieutenant Commander Takashima! was exactly the same. It was like the two most boring, you know, like I'd love to see their staff meetings. It's like the scene where he's like... I had in my notes that I like Laurel, but she's a bad actress. Yeah, yeah, well, I think I read a thing tonight that they told, they said to, the network asked them to tone her character down and make her very soft and feminine, and then they accused her of not being military material. When they showed her, like, in her private life, like, playing the flute, it surprised me because I expected that she had this, like, you know, I expected that she was one of these stick-up-her-ass characters. No, No, that was in this. Was that in that? Yeah, it absolutely was. It was in, (laughs) in the coffee scene. In the coffee scene. Now, just to give to back up and do a little bit of talk about the, the, the concept of the show. The, the, the show itself was meant to be a five-year story arc. Now, we're recording this in 2010. So many shows on the air right now are serialized. You know, the, the, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's become very commonplace. This came on the air at the time when sci-fi and a lot of television in general was incredibly episodic. And there was, you know, no yeah. real consideration. You might say, hey, where do we want to end up at the end of the season? But they, everything was very open-ended. Mm-hmm. So, well, you, you think about there was what was on like, there at the same you time. You just broke your arm last week? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> I was, I was looking it up because I was curious, but like this is this started during season six of Next Generation, mm-hmm. and I, actually within 
two months of the beginning of Deep Space Nine, which is hilarious because I've had such a Deep Space Nine vibe watching the pilot of this. Well, that was interesting because there's a, if you get the fans going, there was a lot of fans. Nothing if you get JMS going. J, if you get JMS going, there's a lot of talk as to whether or not JMS pitched the series to Paramount, who turned it down, and then came out with Deep Space Nine right after. So there's a lot of similarities. You have a space station. You have a you know a female. You have a female XO. You have you know. I'm just I'm just talking about visually. They had a scene where they walk through the the promenade of the station, yeah. and it's and it's you know the two level thing. There's aliens all over the place. There's yeah. gambling. It was like. Yeah, and, and there, the a thing. lot of fans wanted that. And the show, and the shows, you know, they don't copy off each other too much. But there, there's a uh, JMS actually was quoted in an interview recently saying that one of the cast members of Deep Space Nine sent a note to him saying, "We know that you created our show," or something to that effect. I don't know how much of that is residual anger. I mean, now, you could argue there's a couple similarities, but it's not a ripoff. I, I mean, I'll tell you what, this this reminds me of this, the same kind of thing that happened when you have the movies Deep Impact and Armageddon come out in the same year. Yeah, you're gonna Or have. you have a, a very many similar things where you have multiples of the same kind of style of, of, of movie come out. It happens more with movies than anything else, but yeah. it happens. And people come up, people can come up with good ideas at the same time. I have no, no problem believing and sometimes that. sometimes it's like for no other reason, you know, like something, something will, something will happen where people, there's like a lot of interest in like a certain historical event, and then there's like several movies made about it, or like sure, like World War Two movies a few years ago. Right. And the way I choose to and, look at but that's it, that's because it was like the 60th, um, like anniversary of the exactly war, like the early 2000s. Well, the six, like. So I would yeah. expect that there's like a lot of interest in World War Two. It's actually happened in science before. Two uh, scientists, completely unrelated work, both come up with the same uh, theory or prove the same scientific law, and they start talking to each other and realize, oh my god, this guy duplicated all of my work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way I choose to look at it is Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5 came on the air around the same time. There, there was, uh, I think, some animosity certainly behind the scenes. In one episode that will come up at some point during the series, um, Majel Barrett, the first lady of Star Trek, appears on Babylon 5, and there was a question, was that like a goodwill gesture? Did she just want to do the... I mean, I don't know. There was a... Um, a week- isn't isn't uh, What's-His-Face on here eventually, too? What's-His-Face? Oh, my God. I'm blanking on right now. Check off, yeah. Yeah, Walter Koenig. Walter Koenig. Walter Koenig, yeah. Does Babylon 5. At one point, there's a, a recurring actor who does um, a great job on Babylon 5, and during an episode when they needed him to advance the plot, Deep Space Nine hired them, but they paid them more money. <laughs> so, I mean, there was there was some stuff going back huh. and forth. I mean, the way I look at it is you have, you know, Ron Moore, and you've got, um, you know, the, the, the great writers over at Deep Space Nine, you've got JMS and Nether and everyone over at Babylon 5. Regardless of who came up with the idea, I think they both do very dynamic things with it, and it doesn't seem like a ripoff to me. But there's obviously, if you're the guy who created the thing oh. and you feel ripped off, you're going to be angry about yeah. it. But it, it doesn't seem ripped off, especially. It doesn't seem ripped off. It just sounds. It just seems they they seem similar so far. But again, I'm not even yeah. two hours into the into the show. Right. Well, I think it's like no more simple. I mean, I haven't seen much DC time, but I think it's no more similar than any show like this. You know? Right. It's very. And it, yeah, like, it's very obviously, different. I kept thinking of BSG during this, but I mean. Spaceships. That's because that's right. why. I mean, right? Yeah, it doesn't yeah, there's only at all. So many ways you can do spaceships. Yeah, and, the, and it's the idea too. I think that Babylon Five, the space station, is more of a symbol than Deep Space Nine was, which just happened to be really great real estate. You know, Babylon Five is. Yeah, I think with the, with the Star Trek universe, like they didn't do a space station to unite 
all these people. I think they just did it because it makes sense to have right. space stations. And the thing that you're so going to get, space, yeah. Space Nine could just easily been set on a planet. Right. A base on a planet. Well, the, in, I mean, and certainly you could argue that Babylon 5 could be too. I mean, you're going to get the plot line, you know, of the, of the show really in the, in the opening title sequence of season one, which is essentially, and you get it a lot in this movie too, is that the humans and the Mimbari were at war with each other for, for several years. And it was a war that literally nearly wiped out the human race. We came within hours of, of, of just being extinguished. That really reminded me of BSG. Yeah, it was. It was honestly very similar. And it's ba- almost exactly the same thing. Whereas they were going to win, and then they just stopped. Well, they, yeah. well, you could argue that the Cylons didn't really stop. But what it, what what happened? And you get it a lot here. Is that the human race was about to be wiped out, and 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 the reasons there was, there was a failure to communicate so obviously you you just have war and there's no mechanism to stop the war so we come within minutes of being wiped out and you know every ship capable of flying surrounds earth to to barricade the mimbari off until so the survivors can get out and try and survive somewhere else in the galaxy and all of a sudden you have the mimbari just stand down and they create the babylon station as a place where we can kind of work out problems in the future so that we don't have another war. And th- this takes place 10 years after the war. And as you see with Carolyn, the, the people of Earth and the humans, they've rewritten history to some extent to say the, the Mimbari saw how willing to die we were and they were shamed into surrender. That's not the reason it happened. There was there was reasons why the Mimbari stood down. But We'll get into that as we go through the right, series. But, but humans tend to think, oh, it was because this brave, powerful... Because we're so awesome. I think, right. I yeah, think exactly. Part of that's it was, also us. Like they were so afraid of our awesomeness yes. that they just had to leave, even though they were beating us. Right. And anyone who was there on the line knows that's a whole bunch of shit. Right. I mean, they, they, they were, were like the line was so shuts. crazy. They like were going on like the Mambari. We're so afraid of the line. I think that's like a line from. I think that's what Caroline says. Or yeah. Thinks. Yeah. Because there's. It, that makes no sense at all. And that's what you tell. And that's what you tell people. That's how the world works. You say, you know, we shamed them into surrendering because when you're a beaten people and you're trying to rebuild, you say, we stopped them. It was us that did it. You need to empower people. And that's, I'm sure that's what happened in those 10 years. And what you see happen as well is Earth funds the Babylon station, which is destroyed, and it funds the next one, which is destroyed, and it funds the next one, which is destroyed. And it primarily funds the next, funds one, which the next one, which vanishes. And the thing which I really like about this is there's actually money and there's, there's interspecies commerce. This is a race that just almost got wiped out in war. Earth is broke. So you're going to see the, the Mimbari help fund Babylon 5. And some of the other, even though Earth will administer the station, the other races have, have funded a lot of this. So when you have Jakar at the very beginning get pissed off at Takashima. Lieutenant Commander Takashima! Because you won't allow us to bring weapons on the station, but your Earth Force has weapons. You know, th- there's a little bit of animosity there. I don't remember specifically if the Narns helped fund the station, but there's that animosity. Well, that, how yeah. could they? They just recently were slaves. They seemed like they couldn't. That, that was about 100 years ago. and the, Well, we don't know that at this right, point in time. That, that's true, but the, 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 the yeah. Narn the, the Narn were functioning. The exact time frames are, for the most part, pretty um, big. Yeah, it, it was... Yeah. They very much are. It wasn't in the very, very recent future, but the, the yeah. Narn... You get that impression, because yeah. they, they wouldn't be able to even have the four ambassadors if they just let them all go last Tuesday. Yeah. 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 And you're going to see as well, picture if, if humans are... Near, oh, we'll put it this way. Picture if, you know, if, if, a, if a country on the world nearly wipes out the United States... And, you know, 10 years later. <laughs> exactly. But t- the, the thing is, like, I have a friend whose father still will not buy Japanese cars. 
because he's still pissed about World War II. So picture yeah. 10 years after the Mimbari almost wipe us out. Now, many pe- I'm sure there was, there was absolutely a draft, and, and millions of people died, and mm-hmm. we, we had very little chance. Like, it would be, like, the Mimbari are so powerful, we had very little chance to even hurt them, to wound them. I mean, I, don't, I got the impression that we then weren't that much. This is not that far in the future when you consider things like Star Trek. Are you watching Star Trek? Like right. next generation stuff. It's I mean, around the time. It's about 100 years. 200 years? It's 2257. 200 years. It's actually like pretty 200. close to the original series. Yeah, it is. It's right around the... T- it's 10 it's years close. before I, I feel like that um, the Mimbari human war wouldn't be that much different than if all of a sudden tomorrow aliens arrive. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're more There's advanced. There's nothing we could do, you but know? The, but the, the, the point to bring up, though, picture how human beings 10 years after that war would treat the Mimbari, and you have Delenn here multiple times, slipping the file in the Brahmanilla envelope to see this. Because the Mimbari have technology and they have information that we that we just simply don't have. So well, there's an interesting parallel to be drawn as well. You're talking about ten years after a major war, and uh, Sinclair and whatever what's her name they they're they're friends. He calls her old friend. It's it's interesting. I was thinking of the way America and Germany was after the Second World War. We had another enemy to fight. And 10 years later, us and, and West Germany are our allies, total allies. Also, keep in mind that the, I think the reason that we became quick allies with Germany and Japan after World War II was we had communism. Right. They don't have an enemy That's true. Right now. Well, we didn't have communism. They had communism. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? We're I mean, we were becoming friends with them to help defeat communism, prevent them from becoming communists, and I don't think they have an enemy now that they're united right. again. No. Communism was just a red... And there's certainly a lot of animosity towards the Mimbari by some. There's a lot of mistrust. There's that sense that, well, we showed you, we whipped you, because you don't want to acknowledge that these guys let us go. We had to have some part in that. So a lot of that will get played up over the run of the series, but that's where we begin. And it, it's really interesting, too. You have Delenn in the Japanese Stone Garden basically saying, you know, we have you know people who write thousands and thousands of pages on, on the topic of the power of one person. And you, you, you have this Stone Garden, which says it even better. Very complimentary about humanity. And it's a really interesting place to start. And especially you oh. see a lot in this movie of Delenn's relationship with Sinclair. She abstains at the yeah. council vote. She's, Caroline bursts into her quarters and says, after all on. he's done for you. Yeah, all he's done for you, and they, they've got a really tight relationship. Yeah, so anyway, you brought up money. There I think some... it's very interesting contrast to Star Trek, where we don't believe in money. We work to better ourselves. And how do they pay Quark? It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, I know. Well, the whole economics of Star Trek is, is kind of yeah. screwy. Um, yeah. Here, yeah, everyone kind of... gets paid. Everyone gets paid. Yep. You'll you'll see an episode I think at one point where I think someone even goes on strike because they you know, they're they're charging for something else. I don't yes, know. It, it's except it's Londo season. because he's it's always broke. Episode. Londo's broke. Londo's Londo is lo- okay. Peter Jurassic as Londo Malari is literally one of the funniest characters. Oh yes, he's such a serious character. I mean, there's a reason Londo does the introduction to the gathering. Londo yep. is a very very important character, but my God, he can be the dopiest character. He can be the like there is there is no, like. I would listen to that. Now, obviously, that's not his real voice. I think he's from Virginia, but I don't even know what accent that's supposed to be. But I think it's, it's a fake accent. I mean, it's a Centauri accent. So it's a Centauri accent, exactly. It is Centauri. Death got it. Wait till you find out about his genitals. My God, you will laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. <sighs> but, I can't wait exactly. to find out about his genitals. But one, one thing to just point out as well is obviously he's writing a novel. JMS is writing a five-year novel, six-year novel, because The Gathering was year zero. It's writing a six-year yeah. novel, and he knows how he wants it to end, but over time, 
cast members may leave cast members could die you know the studio could step in and say we don't want to let you do x y and z you could get canceled and have to you know end the show early you don't know what's going to happen so he had trap doors written for certain characters if you have to pull that character out early if this character leaves move this here move that there you know tie that around so there's a there at some points during the series you'll see some seams showing where something that was originally planned couldn't happen or they had to move this there and there's a really glaring moment in the gathering which i can't talk about until we finish season one one where one character in the gathering was always destined for something and they had to change that later but there's still the fingerprints of that happening in the gathering so it, it's really it's really interesting and there is if for those of you who watched the dvd the re, the remastered version of this there is the mm-hmm. mother of all spoilers in plain sight oh yes i could i watched it and my mouth gaped open i could not believe they put that in there anyone who watches maybe like the first season or season or couple seasons of the show and then goes because you're not going to recognize it if this is the only no, one you've seen didn't see a thing no, so. you, well you wouldn't it's only if you know about it if there's something a spoiler there's so it's some, not a spoiler it's not a spoiler, but anyone who... So it's, a, it's amazing foreshadowing is what you're saying. Yes, it's amazing foreshadowing. Do you remember in the, in the beginning of Harry Potter, um, he, Hagrid mentions on like page three of... of Sirius Black. Stone, Sirius Black. Black. It's like that. There is something and so... And nobody noticed it, and then... Yeah. Right, but if you read well, you know, and, the first and, couple books and, and you started Prisoner and then you went back, you'd notice it. I'll put it this way. If you watch maybe five more episodes and then go back, you're going to be like, holy shit. So if you don't want to be spoiled, don't do that until you get a few seasons in, because there is the mother of all spoilers in there. I could not believe he put that in there. That yeah. was, that blew my mind. I dropped out for a minute, so I kind of got some choppy conversation, but as far as the accent, I just looked up an interview with Peter Jurassic. Yeah. He was asked a question about the accent, and the question is, in reading for the character, was the accent your idea, or was that written on the page? And he replies, it wasn't actually written on the page. I called the casting director, and said, would you ask the writer what this guy's to sound like? He's an alien. The message given back was you can make him sound any way you want. So I just imposed that on him. The story I always tell in conventions, which is true, is that I had just finished a play in Los Angeles, a Tennessee Williams play, and I had gotten bad reviews for a Memphis accent that I did. And I had worked really hard on this Memphis accent, and I had nailed it perfectly, and people from Memphis said to me, wow, you sound like you grew up next door to me. And then some dumbass reviewer said, that's not a very good Memphis accent. So, apparently, he used this Memphis accent here. Hmm. (laughs) The Centauri from from Memphis, that's quite insightful. It makes me wonder. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Further down here, it says, When I got Babylon 5, I realized it's a great opportunity for me. I will be the first Centauri, and I can make him talk any way he wants, and no reviewer will ever be able to say that's not what a Centauri sounds like, what a terrible Centauri accent he's doing. Because I'm the first Centauri, so I make him talk any way I want. So I made the accent up, a kind of amalgam of different kind of accents. Oh, the problem is we get a lot of Centauri after this, and I'm still trying to figure out where he's from on the planet, because none of the other ones sound yeah. quite like this. He says is he made it up an amalgam of a number of different British accents. Yeah. I used a little of my Slovak grandmother, and I mentioned Ireland, <laughs> and I mixed it up and made it my own. Exactly. There's a character who comes on later who's Russian, and the fans gave her a hard time for having a crappy Russian accent, and JMS is like, dude, she's from like <laughs> Moscow, she's actually Russian, so yeah. sometimes he can't. Oh. Um, is that the lens real accent? Because I think yes. she sounded similar on Lost. Mira Furlan is from Yugoslavia, that is her actual accent, she's, she's a big name in Yugoslavia. And I was actually reading a thing where they actually give her a really hard time there, because she during the the war there she appeared on stage you know while the country was being occupied and you know and there was this whole mess but that is actually uh, Mary Furlan's true accent so. so did she 
you do a different yeah. one in Lost? Was she more French in Lost? Uh, I don't think she really sounded French in Lost. <laughs> I thought she sounded like Wait, she, she was in Lost. Don't spoil me. Yeah, well, she's in there, but she sounds like she's from Yugoslavia. Yep, so. it, spoil. No, she's actually from yeah. Yugoslavia. I'm not Rita, spoiling. I'm stop telling you spoiling where Mir- me. I'm stop uh, spoiling her. I'm, I'm telling you where Mira Furlan is from. She's from Yugoslavia. As a spoiler for Mira Furlan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Captain Picard is from France. What? It's Patrick Please. Stewart. Come yeah. on. <laughs> so that's not going to happen. I so. am from France. Yes, exactly. Jean Luc. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. right. All right. Let's look through. Let's get into some uh, plot from this. Um, sure. Oh, oh God. Exactly. Now, it's, a, a few things jumped um, to mind watching the um, the early scene. There's there's some things that are very close to what you'll see in the series proper, and there's some other things that you can tell were traditional pilot stuff that they didn't have the sets quite right, or they didn't conceptualize something. CNC looks like it has a freaking disco ball coming down from in front of the window. I wasn't sure what was up with that. That was just... Yes, the, the little, like, rotating lights. That was bizarre, and the other thing was they didn't have the um, handrail behind where Laurel was standing, and that just looked like a major, major safety hazard. Like, it, yeah, I thought that, like, her, she was standing on this platform with, like, rotating lights around it, and I'm like, did they design this as, like, a theme park attraction, or is this an actual... Well, she's, she's just incredibly, she's an incredibly stiff character. She's a very stiff actress, and she's in this <laughs> oh, bizarre... She's a stiff person, so I think so they're like, I think they're like, she might be boring on the set. Just flick the lights on, and maybe that will distract people, and they won't notice. So I thought that was that was a little bizarre there. Um, just some other things. They have different PPGs. Um, the, the the guns that they use look like actual guns in the series. These things, I, they looked like like flaccid penises. I wasn't sure what the hell Garibaldi was shooting at one point there. Though. I... I... It actually yeah. reminded me of a phaser. Yeah, it was it was this bizarre ass thing. It was a boomerang. Yeah, and I've never seen that exit area onto the station before, um, where they were coming through. It, it, it reminded me of being at uh, customs at Heathrow Airport at the beginning there. I don't think we see that particular area again on the again on the show there. Um, it, it got blown up. That it, yeah, it burned in the fire. Well, like it's the only way onto the station. I'm like, they probably built a screen door between now. They could drill another hole. Exactly. It was just. Yeah. It, was, it was that was a little bizarre. And they had the um, death row. We'll talk about this. It was the only time I believe when you looked at the Identicar, they actually put the um, the the video on the screen so you could see what the Identicar actually looks like. And yeah. De- death. You actually investigated the Identicar a little bit. Yeah. If, if you were really bored like I was and you wanted to see what actually is on the identity card, you press pause on your DVD player Mm -hmm. back up frame by frame and there's actually a message at the upper left hand of the screen as stuff scrolls by. Most of it was pretty hard to read but very clearly in there is a message, Elvis still loves you. (laughs) Really? Yes. (laughs) I looked at the stuff on the card itself but I didn't pay much attention to those little characters. I I looked at that sort of stuff as well. I actually have it in notes for later discussion. But yeah, I I just thought that was interesting. Uh, Elvis still Mm. loves you. We can continue talking about the identity card, Lita Alexander. Anybody want to talk about that? I kind of am curious about these psychic people because Mm, throughout it felt like this was, you know, our normal world, but in the future. So I was expecting that things would be like normal real world stuff, but I wonder, like, did did people evolve into, like, this psychic, or, like, how did the psychics come into it, because there aren't psychics? It does seem to be genetic, because her big thing, or one of the big things that makes her a high-class psychic is that she can trace hers back ten generations, and most of them can't. I made a note on that myself. In the series proper, Death can 
remind me. I always assumed that what your level of um, you know telepathic control your P rating it's what you are. You're you're born a P five. You're born a P three. You're yeah. You're, you're born with a certain amount like of ability. Yeah, and they can train you to use that ability to the best okay. of that your ability, sense. but you can't get better. Right. At, okay. A P five is a P five, and 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 I believe the difference is P five. You, you know, you can be rated for some commercial. Hey. Work like Lita does. If you're a P10, you can um, be a, almost. If like you're a really interested, you can look up the P scale. Yeah, uh, P10s as high as you can go before they turn you into a psychop. Right. I yeah, think I'm the weird spoiling. thing though is that she said that um, she went back ten generations, and if she's going six. back ten generations from where, huh? if she's going six. back ten generations from where they are now, then they should have psychics today. I believe it was Who six. Says they don't. It's they've been keeping records for six generations, but she says it goes okay. back further than that. Well, that's incredibly and, interesting. The fact that it's a show that takes place a couple hundred years from now that has human telepaths, because usually you wouldn't see that because they would. Just, so like I just did the math, and like if you if you assume a generation is twenty years, then ten times twenty is two hundred, and they're in twenty two fifty. Yep. Yep. So twenty two fifty seven. Like it now. Fun fact, there are three sets of trilogies that take place in the Babylon 5 universe, which actually they're all canon, and they all fill in you know, gaps, and there, there is one that deals with um, the telepaths. So it actually yep. will give you some type So once you finish the series, you can get yep. some great backstory on um, actually some of, I believe, Alita's ancestors um, are included mm-hmm. in there. Absolutely. Which is very interesting. On the identity card, Lita is born December 10th, uh, presumably 2225. Okay. And she joined Psycor um, October 18th, 2252. She's 26. Now, Ryan, does that seem kind of late to you? How old was she when she joined? 26. That, that's, that's very late. Usually, we, we'll get into it. Obviously, there's a lot of episodes to focus on the Psycor, but the Psycor is basically... Um, they don't want to have telepaths walking down Main Street, you know, reading your mind, stealing like your ATM number. Yeah, you, well, I mean, right, death rolls falling down. They, they don't I didn't want, hear what she said. I believe she said, like, Slytherins. Is oh. No, wizards. Wizards, 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 I'm sorry. I thought you said, I thought you said Slytherins. <laughs> that was almost fighting words there. That was In, indeed. Wizards. Just because you moved out of state like doesn't wizards. mean you can talk to me like that. I will drive down to Maryland and yell at you. W-I-Z-A-R-D-S, wizard. It must I have been the wizard. iPhone connection. Yeah, well, uh, the thing is, everybody knows about the telepaths, and yeah. they're... When telepathic what I mean is they're like wizards in the way that they yeah, want them to be able to use their PS, powers PS, PS. before I'm they go out of control. Here. This doesn't happen often. Please, please let me continue. Uh, <laughs> the the people recognize. You like how I pulled that voice on her. The the people in the governments have recognized that telepathic ability exists, and out of privacy concerns of the ability of telepaths to invade the minds of normals or mundanes, uh, this organization called Psychor is set up to regulate and monitor any sort of telepath activity, and they're, they're essentially put under the thumb of the government. Here. Right, and you can argue it's for a lot of it's for public protection as well, because you're not going to gamble if you fear the guy across from the table is telepath reading your mind, and you see that here, she's prohibited from gambling. You know, you're, you're going to worry, is someone going to steal your pin number out of your head walking down the street? So there has to be some type of protection for the people, but it's a very controversial protection when the government orders you to, to do something like that. So you'll, you'll see a lot of that 
um, developed as as we move forward. Developed and developed very very well. So oh yes, I mean it, once it's there were a lot of times going through here um, where and and sometimes a lot of Babylon Five fans will actually recommend that new viewers kind of start with season two because season one's a little rough and then season two plot is a lot faster paced and then you can go back and get that backstory. I've recommended that in the past, but I think that's just for people who aren't going to want to sit through slow characterization. But starting with the gathering, which is the first thing created and it's the first point in the, in the continuity, there were so many scenes where I was like, holy crap, it all began right here. There were so many moments in this movie that echo the final moments, let's say, for a particular character, and it's a perfect bookend, you can really, really tell here that they either did their homework very well or this was planned, and we, we know it was planned. But there were so many moments in this movie that really, really capture the entire arc of a, of a particular particular character. I, I thought that was really, really well done. Yeah, I, I like how... I'm getting all the... Uh, hmm. No, it's fine. It's, it's like yeah, I, I I'm going to keep talking about Lita. Because though. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Right. Um, it interests me, so we'll have to yeah. watch more of these sometime. And the Psychor exists, and you have people with different Psy ratings or P ratings, and according to the wiki that I was looking at earlier today, P3 to about P6 is your general rating for a commercial telepath. And that's we, we see Lita engaging in this behavior like five minutes after she gets to the station. Right. She hasn't even unpacked yet, and she's already working as a commercial telepath, and she sits in, and this is an authorized scan. She's hired by this one businessman to scan the thoughts of a fellow he's doing business with to make sure he's not getting screwed. And all I can think is, damn, we need some telepaths both for business and for politics and for just about exactly. every other situation on this planet. It'd be great. The, the Kagan uh, Supreme Court you know, interviews where they ask her a question, and they all look at the psychop and she's lying. <laughs> look at oh, this. yes. Oh, it would make it's so a, much. It's I, really, I, mean, I had to pause there because it was such a beautiful vision in my head, you know? Well, it's, a bold, it's such a bold thing to put into a story. It takes place 200 years from now and there's human telepaths walking around. Obviously, there's a plot reason for it and it's very well done, but it's not something like, you know, in Star Trek you would see. It's not something that, that really mm-hmm. the, that you would think what you would see in something like this. Yeah, where the telepathic ability only serves to further the episode of the week. Right. It's like, why? It's, all, if there's it's telepaths, then why don't we have them now? You know what I mean? It's it's something that you, you wouldn't think you'd, you'd be bothered with very much. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a broader part of the, the story, the universe, and the whole yeah. establishment of everything here. And I think it's great. Like, looking through my notes here, I actually had a point. Um, in Lost, there is a character named Michael. Lost again. There's a character named... You know what? We... Finally, we're talking about Babylon 5, and now I just want to talk about something else. <laughs> Notice I'm trying to be on track here, because I actually mm-hmm. love Babylon 5. Go on to your so. damn lost No, but nothing cast, can make you happy. Exactly. Now, there's a character named Michael, and all Michael does is scream the name of his son, Walt. He's the most annoying character. He just screams Walt all the time. All he does. And it cracked me up, because the only line Jakar had for the first hour of this movie was, Lieutenant Commander Takashima! Like, all he did was scream at Laurel through the entire... I'm like, can't you just call her Laurel? Like, it's... Well, no, he's an alien, and he has to use title and all of that. I I, I thought Uh, that was hysterical. Jakar Uh is definitely someone who observes the niceties, I think. He always takes care to call people by their title. Mm -hmm. Well, and he's a very... interesting character. I don't want to say he's very different from the canon, but you see him at 
in a very interesting place here. He's he's pretty much the bad guy in the movie. He, he's in on the whole scam, and he tries to get Sinclair taken to the Vorlon homeworld, presumably to die. And you know he, he he's trying to bribe Delenn, and Delenn nearly chokes him and blows his heart up. I mean, I love that. Jakar is pretty much the bad guy here, and his makeup is much mm-hmm. more severe than it was in the series. Very reptilian, and and, and you know, it's very well done though. Incredibly oh, yes. well done. Well, when you see. Because um, he's played by the late Andreas Consolas, who actually played um, Tomalak on uh, the Romulan commander on Star Trek: um, The Next Generation, and he's he's such a gifted, gifted actor, and the character is so angry as the show begins that it's it's really great to go back and see him at the at the beginning here, and it's it's he's he's on the upswing and, and the Narn or. or, or are surging back, you know, after their time, you know, as slaves and everything. He's a very, very interesting character in the beginning here and screaming. Lieutenant Commander Takashima. Top of yeah. Well, I'm going to tie together our last two points here. Jakar and Lita. He approaches her with a business proposition. Mm-hmm. She's a sixth generation, and he says, "We will compensate you very handsomely for your genetic history here." Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's like, would you prefer to be conscious or unconscious during? Well, he the- doesn't even ask her. Is she into it? He's already moving on to how they're going to have sex with each other, and she hasn't even said hello. Who the hell are you yet? <laughs> yeah. That was- yeah, that kind of didn't go anywhere in the pilot, too. I was wondering what the hell. That will- like it's, it's a moment to so- make you think he's sleazy again, just well, to sort of. It's interesting because he he brings up the fact that Narns don't have telepaths, and it's something that you'll see, that, that that is referenced again. And the, and the cool thing for me is I don't, I I've only seen the Gathering a couple times, but the later stuff I've watched very frequently. So they'll reference something in a later episode that I never realized actually came from the Gathering, and, yeah. and that that moment will uh, definitely be paid off. The thing yeah, to this... get used to in this show is if something doesn't play in an episode, it'll get played in the next episode. So oh, it's, uh, it's yeah. something that they that, that that they're very cognizant of. Yeah, and I. Just just love. I prefer conscious, but I don't know what your pleasure thresholds are. That was absolutely frightening. Apparently, there's an approved list of aliens you're allowed to have sex with, which makes right, a lot of sense. It does, but uh, the first thing Sinclair says to this one random guy is, "You don't want to have sex with her. She'll eat you after you're done." And the guy's like, "What are you a racist? <laughs> like bringing home a Presbyterian?" Because Presbyterians totally yeah. eat their mates when they're done. Sorry, Presbyterians. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking through here. Um, I made some comments about the way that um, exposition works here. I thought the exposition of, like, Babylon 5, it's kind of like the UN. Who the hell would say that to someone who has cable? Like people The UN know. no longer exists. Yeah, I mean, that was just very, very clunky. But later on, um, the Earth-Mimbari War, I think, was dropped in very, very well in, in the Stone Garden conversation. I mean, it, you know, the fact that you know, you're helping me and you're giving me information on Kosh and the Warlons, um, you know, even though we've been at war with each other, it's not like, Jalen, remember that war we had? <laughs> like, it's, it, like, it could have gone very, very... Yeah. Mm. When you get characters I can, talking. I can see your point at it being clunky, but at the same time, so what did you think? that's... Okay. It's it happens fairly close to the beginning of the show, and as a new viewer, that's one of the things you're wondering is why the heck is it Babylon Five? And so a person walks up and says, "So why is it Babylon Five? And you're like, "Oh, good, they'll tell you." <laughs> yeah. Well, the first thing I thought when I first watched the show was that there were actually five Babylon. Say it's like Starbase eighteen. It's just- mm-hmm. Or like Deep Space Nine. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, Aaron, what did you think? What did you think of the exposition here? Type it to me, Aaron. <laughs> 
I'm kidding. Tell me what you thought. Exposition. You know, I don't have a problem with exposition like that. It's really hard to come up with a plausible, easy way to just tell what the, the story's about. And honestly, in a pilot like this, that's going to be super mega complicated that you have to explain an entire world. You need to do it quickly. because Either that or if you're really good, you can do it a little bit more slowly. But you have to be insanely good. No, it would have been great. I actually just thought this. If you had um, Doral from Babel, from Battlestar Galactica, remember in the pilot of Galactica, he, yeah. he was the tour guide, like walking around telling people, yeah. like, the, oh, it would be yeah. great if there was a tour guide in Babylon 5, as you remember, you know, on this <laughs> You're asking <laughs> us about exposition, though, but you got to remember, we're coming off of reading Harry Potter fic, where Hermione exposes everything yes. yeah. to the tiniest little detail. Well, That's some, mostly the yeah. movies, though. In some places, I, well, it's like there's only one place we're going to get this Diagon Alley. Really, Molly, thank you, because I wasn't sure where you people shopped. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's why. Well, I didn't know. <laughs> well, I will say that, like, having watched the series before, or some of the series before I watched this, I found the exposition a little ham-fisted, but maybe that's because I already knew this stuff. Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think there say, was, though, as well, one of the times I was re-watching, I just sat and watched and just pumped through epi- like you just went through Lost I was doing the same thing with B5 there is a lot of heavy handedness at times but it was also running serially and well I think it's also it. you know Straczynski this is the first pilot that he's written he even said there were there were things he would definitely have done differently if he could have redone the gathering and i think he did a lot of that in the editing bay when he made the remastered version but i think a lot of the dialogue is clunky and honestly on babylon 5 sometimes dialogue can be clunky depending you can tell characters will use similar expressions sometimes and you can oh, kind of see the seams but i mean i've mean, done i mean exposition is hard i'm speaking yeah. as a writer i mean i know there's times when i've had clunky exposition where people are asking each other questions that they shouldn't have to ask yeah it's like you're waiting for you know for Lita to be like, you know, I was in a coma for several years. <laughs> Bring me up to Please speed. Please tell me the way the world works. Exactly. It was almost <laughs> like that. Well, the, the, I mean, the, but there were other points where I thought, like, I thought the line scene with with Carolyn and, and Jeff worked very well. I thought um, Delenn and Jeff, and it's always Jeff. Jeff just makes it work, just not when he's yeah. walking through the alien sector, apparently. I, I did Jeff. I did love Londo, though. Any scene with Londo and Garibaldi, their friendship, when he's oh, like, yes. what, what was the line? Well, he just had? cut that. Any scene with Londo. Any scene with Londo. He's like, the Centauri, the Republic, we conquered the beta system in nine days! He's just banging the table. It's like, nine days! Can you believe it? And right now, they're, they're like the gift shop of yeah. the galaxy. Just they're a cool. tourist attraction. That was such a sad scene, yeah. because it, it really was. I know. It's, it's the guy who, he loves his country, he's a patriot. There's an episode, he's like, I'm a patriot, I am a Republican. And for a minute, I'm picturing Trent Lott. He's, I he's, knew you were going to go there. I knew it, knew it, knew it. I knew you knew I was. Honestly, well, I knew that you knew that I knew. He's a he's a patriot and he and he loves his people and they're on a decline and he's a lowly ambassador and there's not a damn thing in the world he can do about it. And if he ran the world for a day, maybe he could. But that's where the character starts from. And Jakar is the creep who wants to kill Sinclair and he has all of these visions of revenge and everything and he's Well, I don't think he wants to kill Sinclair necessarily. Well he wants to send them to the Vorlon homeworld and you got Well to that's to- sort of a side thing. And they're, they're- I think I I have in my notes that the only reason he did that cause it's, is because he wanted to see more of the Vorlon. I don't know. Well, I got the I got the sense he almost saw Sinclair as a threat and he wanted to take Sinclair out. I didn't see it as being personal because if you remember in the very beginning scene where we're scrolling across, we see somebody reading the newspaper, which I love. We still have newspapers. I love that. Universe Today. It's Universe, Universe Today. Today. The headline. Exactly like USA Today. 
Exactly. It, it's deliberate, I'm sure. The headline is, of course, about the Vorlons making contact. That's a big deal, and we'll get back to that. But the subline under that is the Narns are protesting the Earth Alliance Babylon 5. And then I couldn't read the two words below that. So the Nards are not happy that this station is set up. So I don't see it as being personal towards Sinclair so much as it is they're trying to wreck the whole B5 project. They could very well do that. And there's a complicated history with Earth and the, and the Narn that took place during the Mimbari War, and you'll get a little bit of that later. But you saw that great scene with Delan and with Jakar in her quarters, where he's trying to imply that Londo was the one that poisoned Jakar to try and force an alliance with the, with the Mimbari. Kosh, uh, not yeah. Jakar. I'm sorry. Jakar is trying to say that Londo poisoned Kosh, and he's trying to forge an alliance with the Mimbari against the humans. And he, he's trying to destabilize things. He's trying to stir the pot, and he doesn't care who gets hurt doing it. Versus you have Londo, who's also willing to let morals slip aside and let Sinclair be taken if it advances his own fortunes. and But he's genuinely sorry about that. To the point where this is Garibaldi's best friend who's being taken away in irons, and he's even saying, thank you for saying you're sorry. Like, he believes that Londo was sorry. And there's, yeah. a, there's room for redemption there. But, yeah, it's, you have these characters in, the, in a really weird place with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm. It'd be interesting to find out when they first met, because Londo and Garibaldi apparently go back a ways, at least. But, uh... uh-huh. Do not know the answer to that. I think they may have actually met within the last year. Yeah, they probably met when they both came to the station. Yeah. But you were saying about um, Jakar having the one line always shouting out, Lieutenant Commander Takashima! Apparently, when they brought uh, Londo's actor back to do the voiceover at the beginning, mm-hmm. it's been, it'd been long enough he'd had to figure out the accent again. Oh, you could tell, too. He apparently paced up and down the stage saying, Mr. Garibaldi, over and over, because yeah. those were his um, signature words. Yeah. <laughs> they were. I guess the original version of this, from watching the special features, didn't have any humor in it whatsoever. And he tried to put a lot of those funny scenes back into it. I love the point at the very end. Jeff has presumably just poisoned Londo, and Londo's walking out, and he's like a guy who's he's got the runs going here. He's like, oh my god, yeah. what did I just see? And he's walking out, and, and Garibaldi walks by, and he's like, beep, beep. <laughs> just yeah. walks by. <laughs> beep, beep, thing was pretty funny. I thought that was hysterical. It's like he's trying to buzz his car door open. Like, I... The, the yeah. But yeah, Mr. Garibaldi. What? <laughs> She's repeating the beep beep. Beep beep. Okay. Beep, beep. You know, speaking of parallels to DS9, I thought the Garibaldi Londo relationship kind of reminded me a little bit of the maybe Quark and Odo. Maybe. Uh, I don't. Th- it's not going to go bit. in that particular direction. But there is. Oh, good. There's a great scene between the two of them in the first episode of the series where I just remember Londo go- has the line, "Here, open my wrists." Your imitation of Londo sounds like Gilbert Gottfried. You know, and I'll still take the money, but but I'll feel cheap about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely sure who that is, so... Oh, my goodness. He's the most annoying, annoying person on the planet. Oh, my God! I can't believe I'm meeting Kermit the Frog! I must be dreaming! Pinch me! Slap me! Hit me across the head with a hammer! Oh, this is so exciting! And look at me! I'm standing here in my underpants! Look at that, huh? He's, he's got a really annoying. He's a com- oh. he's a stand-up comic with a really annoying voice. If you ever see the movie he Aladdin, the parrot in Aladdin, he's the parrot. The parrot. Okay. And then we drop Papa-in-law and the little woman off a cliff. Yeah. Well, apparently I'm very annoying, but we already knew that. Not as annoying as Gilbert Gottfried, and you can rest easy <laughs> with that. Ooh, can I say underpants? Of course I can say underpants. We're not on TV, right? I, I suppose. Oh, I can say underpants all I want. I can yell to the whole neighborhood. Oh, no, no, no. Underpants! 
Fun fact, when um, Jerry Doyle did the interview for the role of Garibaldi, he's sitting in the chair, and you know, Joe Straczynski and Doug Nether and everyone, they, they, they approach him. They usually will, I guess, refer to you by the name of the character you're auditioning for, and they look at him and they're like, Garibaldi? He looks over. That's Mr. Garibaldi to you. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's the character. And there's that scene where he walks in and he's sitting like, under the view screen, and you know, the senator to Jeff is, is, who's in charge of this? Garibaldi. Him? <laughs> Garibaldi's sitting right there. I mean, I liked Garibaldi, too. Like, I can't decide whether Jeff or Garibaldi I liked more. Well, he's the everyday cop. Well, I'm waiting for you to start shipping them together, so. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say It's going to happen. We both know it's going to happen. She's going to start writing some fiction. It's Jeff Mike slash. Well, this is the only time I think we ever refer to him as Mike. And at the very end scene when. I can't, I can't call him Mike. I have a long Garibaldi. Yeah, I know. Well, because he reminds me of our Mike. But yeah, it's the only time I think they've ever called Garibaldi Mike. But it's Sinclair who does it like eight times in a three minute period. And I apparently got it out of his system because they never refer to him as Mike again, ever. Yeah, yeah. I, was also, I was also surprised when they called him Jeff. It just seemed yeah. strange. They, they couldn't afford to redo that day of shooting. <laughs> exactly. But. Yeah, they, God, I almost made Ryan choke over there. You did. I coughed some phlegm up, but we don't have enough editors, so we're going to leave it right in. We're going to do this Very all live. Nice. Speaking of how people address each other, I like how Londo addresses everybody who he wants to take advantage of as, My dear and good friend, Mr. Garibaldi. Oh, my God. That's, oh, yes. Oh, you're here, my Londo. That was amazing. I suck, but you're oh. shipping them now. This is great. That was underhanded there. That was actually yes. very good, Londo. Just stealing, stealing, the, stealing the, the role of Londo like that. Well, he actually, um, Peter Jurassic won't do the accent anymore, and they actually asked him, like, he was on that podcast, and they asked him if he'd do it. He's like, no, 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 I won't do it. I'm, and I think they ask him every once in a while, like, if you're mowing the lawn and the neighbors are walking by, do you slip into Londo for a second? <laughs> That'd be now hilarious. I have this image, image of people mowing the lawn, like, dressed in those clothes. But like, Londo mowing the lawn. Well, I think oh, actually, dear. And I actually want to say for this pilot, too, I think he shaved his head, so he really went all out for this. And can I just say, if this were Star Trek, I'm sure Londo's makeup would be a little different. He wouldn't have the hair going straight up. But I think the mm. hair is hysterical. That was fun. Yeah. It's I just weird, but fun. You get used to it after a while. And then, like, you'll sit down with a new fan, and they're like, what's up with the guy with the fan head? And you're like, who? Oh, Londo? Oh, no, he's, he's, he, you don't notice it after <laughs> hey, a while. Hey, stop noticing it after a while. <laughs> well, is is that a Centaurian thing, or is that just Londo? No, that's yeah. Centaurian. Oh, they all, the they all look like that. It um, kinda, he kind of his his appearance kind of reminded me of do they, um, do Dracula. Do that like to themselves, like, or is that how their like hair grows? That's how their hair grows. There was going to be a scene, I guess, in an early episode where you see Londo in bed with the woman, and his hair was going to be la- was going to be just down around his shoulders, but they didn't do that. But <laughs> you can just assume all Centauri's have hair that does that. One thing I thought was a little interesting plot wise was obviously poisoning of Koch, which is a big fracking deal. But it's a big fracking deal because obviously the man is in an encounter suit. Or Kosh, I shouldn't say yeah. the man. No, this is an airtight encounter suit. Let's point that right. out. Right. And there's the reference to when Lita sees it, Lita will see it through her own eyes. So, of course, she'll have a hand. So, in the vision, he'll have a hand. But then they're like, where's where's the patch of poison? It's on his hand. Ah. Hmm. Is it on the encounter suit or is it on the actual hand? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But all I thought was when, when Garibaldi and Jeff arrived in the bay and they found Kosh on the floor, he looks like a refrigerator that tipped over. <laughs> it's a little bit. It's, it's like, it's it didn't like, look very imposing. Can you picture down. like if he's trying to move across the station and there's like a, there's no ramp to get onto the Zocalo and he, kind of, he like flips over? I can imagine kind of waddling like a penguin. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know. 
the shower. He's he just swivels from the hips. Up. Yeah, exactly. He's that guy. I thought that was unfortunate. But to this day, people were complaining. They're like, we don't get how the hell he was poisoned. And JMS's response was, you should think that because that is confusing. So I can't remember if that was ever addressed later. <laughs> He's like, you're right. That is very confusing. Sure. And half of me wonders if he really wasn't poisoned and he was just messing with them all. Because, <laughs> Seriously. But, but then like, I can't remember. JMS is on record as saying well, this is I not think, a plot I still hole. think it's this a lie. A that they can, ahead, I dude. still think it's a lie that they can't live in the air. Yeah, so I can't remember that. It's, it's a very awkward plot, the omnipotent alien. It's like Hugh got po- food poisoning. Like, how does that work? Yeah. So that, that was a little, that was bizarre. Now, one of the, um, things obviously that you see here is you see Lita scan Kosh and you see Ben, the doctor, look into the encounter suit. And one point I'll bring up, which isn't a huge spoiler, is that when they start the series, the characters of Lita, Alexander, and the doctor, Ben, are, they're phased out. They will not appear in, in the first season and, and going forward. So you'll, still, you'll have a replacement doctor and a replacement telepath. And like I was saying earlier, when they have that thing where you, you wrote this novel out and how do you change it and how do you you know, have a trap door and isn't it convenient that the two characters who look who saw the Vorlon were the ones to leave. Mm, so, yeah. Very convenient. So, which it which is something that will be dropped in and um yeah. not to spoil but Lieutenant Commander Takashima does not continue on where I mean, you'll have a new first officer and, okay. uh, who I think is an incredibly improved uh, yes. character. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. I thought you told me she came back. World Takashima. Takashima will never be seen again. A lot of her trait, it's interesting because in the scene where she has the flute and she's talking about the coffee and Ben comes in and he's talking about how he took um, stems or he took a lot of caffeine to stay awake, those character traits will actually be transferred to their successors. So that was very interesting that the, the, the stems and, and the coffee were, were things that you'll see little nuggets be picked up, I think, by the by the characters that will replace them. Speaking of, the so coffee, they're like Darren Stevens. But I'm sorry, like who? Darren they don't Stevens. pretend it's the same yeah. person. No, it's not. It, well, yeah, it won't actually be the same person, but it will be. Um, it's like it'll she be got fired and they need a new EXO. Takashima leaves and new EXO comes in, and she also has coffee hidden somewhere in, in the field. Nice. <laughs> well, it's one of those secrets that they pass on. It's like, yeah. oh, I forgot that. Takashima left her stash. Yeah, she, le- yeah, she left her it's stash. It's like the. Uh, what was the thing from West Wing with the. Is it a jacket? Oh, it's that the, the press secretaries have? Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah, and Ben will leave his addictive pills behind. Exactly, leave these for the new guy. Can I just say, Ben is a very powerful dude. He looks old and frail, and I believe the actor, when this was filmed, he actually was quite ill. And they said, they they only implied they had to make some adjustments for him uh, to be comfortable on the set. But the the Mimbari disguises Lita, nails him with a pipe like three times, and he's fragile little dude. He hangs on. It's the stims, man. And then Sinclair goes back in, and he's like picking up the hat stand, and he's plugging those crap Okay, about that scene, when the hell did lasers become a standard part (laughs) of med lab? Like well, she, he, she swings at him, and he picks up this cannon and starts. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this how they make make incisions in a? In it a could be a surgical body. laser. That's possible. Exactly, yeah, it could be. But well, oh my, my thing goodness. was, he needs to upgrade the security system in med lab there because she literally turned off like fourteen ventilators before he realized that she was. Right. I mean, you think you know in real life when when you like. If you accidentally like unplug somebody's the machine, they start beeping or something. You know, it alerts mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. You think that if, was... if she's like, I mean, she's like flipping off switches like like they're closing down for the night. I mean, <laughs> 
That was fun. Her trying to be casual. It's like, oh, I just thought I'd come see how he's doing. He like, turns off the power strip over there. <laughs> I'm going to come see how he's doing. Casual voice. Sure. Meanwhile, she's like completely turning everything off. She's got a pillow over the shower curtain in the other room. She's trying to like, cut off its oxygen supply. It's, it, that was great. Well, then the thing which was really great was like when she saw herself or when she saw the true Lita in the hallway, she like almost like growled at her. And I could tell that was like the changeling net kind of coming on mm-hmm. but I'm like oh my god it's like Bernard the goat under there or something <laughs> that, that was that, that was different well that's fitting because the character got electrified well exactly but then when the character was playing Sinclair in the vision when the Mimbari was approaching Kosh in the telepathic memory it appeared to be Sinclair he he was he was like doped up he's like hello well, I'm like, I've never seen Sinclair smile that much. Well, it's because it was a telepathic scan, and it's an alien consciousness, right. and the poison's still in the system. It's still <laughs> because Maybe the plot Kosh- says so. I don't get Maybe Kosh was high. It's Kosh was high. Well, I honestly don't... I still continue to the state. I will confess, I have no idea what the hell happened with the poison. I have no idea how Avorolam was nearly poisoned. All I can say is I think Kosh was faking the whole damn thing. Oh, I think he was faking the whole thing, I think too. that was me. I think he just wanted to mess with us. He likes to make it. You know what? He was Everything the Vorlons do is to mess with us. Everything yes. the Vorlons say is a lie, they are lying. Dude, yeah. Just a question on the subject of Vorlons. If they know so little about them, how the hell can they estimate how long Kosh has left? He's going down 5% yeah. every hour. He has less like, than 24 but hours. what's like, their yes, basis for 5%? Well, the thing, this is the thing which... 5% of what? I mean, you don't know what happens to this thing. It doesn't even breathe the air. It breathes, it breathes something else. How, how can you possibly treat it? He's a giant... For all they know, he hibernates every three months, and he's just going to wake up and go, Hey, okay, that was that one. No, Let's get started. You know what I think happened? I think he tripped, and, and the bridge <laughs> fell over, and he was embarrassed, so he just shut down. It's like, oh my god, he's been poisoned. Because it's like when you fall and you trip, you're like, oh god, please don't let anyone have seen me do that. And unfortunately, yeah. the Mimbari was there, so he faked being poisoned. I think that was the entire plot. <laughs> I think yeah. That, that could happen. As the yeah. oldest race, they have an image to preserve. Because so. a walker over there is trying to bring the walker out. It's like how you're walking along the sidewalk and you trip, so, and, oh, I'm going to start running. I was just going to start running right there. <laughs> A friend you of mine were. did that one. She tripped over a curb and she's laying on the street going, leave me behind. <laughs> hey, this is this. Okay. Here's the thing. So Sinclair is, is, is traveling to go pick up Kosh at, at, at the, now, if you know this, there's airport, only one way the in, airport. there's only one way in and one way out of Babylon five. Although Kosh came in a completely different way because that was not where Kosh came in. But anyway, okay. So there's at least it two was, ways uh, in. There's two ways well, in. Well, if you drill a hole, like the little thing did. Yeah. Well, well, Kosh, I don't know. He came in like the landing bay, wherever he came in. So Sinclair gets there, and the and, and he came in the cargo entrance. Yes, as opposed to the yes. other pl- people that don't come in via the landing bay, because you know they just walk in from outside. I can't figure the damn layout of the place out. And it's very well thought out. Babylon Five. It spins and it rotates, and they use plants to breathe. Out. I didn't. Okay, I didn't understand what they were doing at the end when it like kind of fell off its axis, and they were like minus one, minus two, okay. plus five. Okay. Um, when you have a very complicated moving space station like this, it has a lot of momentum going. It has a lot of angular momentum from the habitat tube, let's call that, that's circulating, that's moving to create gravity. If you upset that even a little bit, you start to get all this torque that the station's not really built to handle, and you start to have different areas of the station try to rotate at different speeds, and it can cause it to break apart very well, easily. 
Yeah. Yes. So the trick is then you have to cancel out the n- rotation. So what the, the numbers are calling out is the percentage of correct spin. So when there's like that plus 11, plus 12, they're the, that means they're going 12% faster than they're supposed to be, which is bad. I'm fuzzy on the whole good, bad thing. What do you mean bad? Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. And then when they go to the minus numbers, they're going slower than they were supposed to be, and they just have to try to zero it out. I wish my friend Catherine were here. She's a physics major. Like, she earned a degree in physics, not is presently earning. She did all the work. That's cool. Physics and math, so she's way smarter than any of us. So, this is Catherine from the future. Not quite the future. Not the future. Space travel is highly dubious, even if it is technically possible. The energy is required to make it happen make it impractical. So through the joys of editing and whatnot, I'm speaking to you right now. So what Eyring was saying about spin and torque are absolutely correct. You have spin, you have torque, you have angular momentum. Kudos on your memory of physics. However, the numbers that they were shouting out, I'm not sure it was the percentage different. Numbers are just numbers unless they're in context. They could be the percentage of how much plus or minus they are out of rotation with other things. However, I'm more likely to take the view that those numbers they're shouting out are more forces and torque numbers that you're getting positive torque and are trying to correct that either through using their propulsion systems to counteract those torques, those forces, equal and opposite reactions, go Newton, or something like that. However, spinning would give the habitation tube appropriate gravity. Take a bucket of water, spin it around in a big circle, yay home physics experiments. This is something I want to talk about, actually, was the, the habitat thing, if I may. Yeah, um, there's a great sci-fi book series called the Night's Dawn Trilogy, which I recommend everybody. It's, it's great by a guy named Peter F. T- F. Hamilton. It's a great modern I'm space opera. My iPhone. Uh, I, I have the Kindle version, so. <laughs> but um, they, basically, one of their, their major mainstays is that they have these organic space stations that have been grown that are biotechnological habitats. And they're cylindrical. Well, the I don't know what the TARDIS is, so. <laughs> I know what it is, but I've never, I don't, I, only that it exists and it's part of Dr. Who, so, anyway. It's um, organic. They're organic. Okay. They're, they're grown. Anyway, the point is that they're cylindrical and they rotate very much like the Babylon 5 space station, and it has kind of that interior, interior shell of the habitat is this, this habitable zone that's, they make parklands and stuff, and that's really cool. But that's what that reminded me a lot of when I saw the interior, I was like, wow. I was just amused that they had difficulty putting aside room for a Japanese stone garden, but in later episodes they actually have a baseball field. Well, actually, if you, you know, if you have for us, you can figure it out pretty quickly. A cylinder of whatever size they built would be, have to be, have just amazing amounts of square mileage yeah. for you to, um, for it to all fit on there, uh, or in the interior of a, a cylinder. It's a, it's amazingly well, efficient. the entire station itself is five miles long and it's not all. Think about how weird it would be though, because the horizon curves upwards. So you can like, you actually have, st- you actually have the sensation that things are going to be falling on you from the other side of the. Well, uh, the, the episode where they. Well, they have, okay, can I have a question? Yeah. When they're in their little train, they are, have like roller coaster harnesses. Is there no gravity when they're traveling in the train? In the because they're traveling in the center of the tube, so there's actually no centripetal force to provide the gravity. Now, there is an episode that comes out later where they either don't have those things in the tube or the tube does get gravity later, or maybe it's in a different location or whatever, but there actually is 
an episode that will deal with what happens if something starts floating or jumping from one end of that tube to another. You know, what will happen when they hit the other side. And I believe, I know there's an episode where there's a baseball game. I, I believe a point is made, you know, what happens when you hit a really high, you know, home run? <laughs> Just to, like whack a guy in the other end of the tube. Like, it's like what happens to the ball when it goes up there. So that because that does become a thing. Well, what are the ground rules for dealing with this? I don't know. But that, if you weren't able to hit it high enough, it would actually, if you pass the center point of the, of the uh, cylinder, it would actually go up and it would start the, centrif- uh, the centrifugal yeah. acceleration would actually put it uh, pushed together side of the cylinder. There's a guy point. eating at the Chinese restaurant at the other end of the station and gets whacked in the head by the baseball. That you- actually, if you hit it perfect, you could get right in the middle of it and hit the zero gravity zone. That'd be cool. You're going to enjoy this show because they actually put a lot of thought into that. Yeah, um, that's good. There's, really there's not a lot of techno babble. Well, it, it makes sense. I mean, I like the, the fact that it's not like we have artificial gravity. It's like we have to spin or else we will float. But not all the aliens do them. In Bari, they have artificial gravity. Yeah, but they don't talk about it. They don't really explain it. They don't say, oh, it's the the field over here, the, the, the quasitronic circuits. And, you know, they don't mm-hmm. do that. There's actually an episode where one of the characters will be like, what do I need to do? And on Star Trek, they'd be like, recalibrate the inverse of the Devletra dish. And the character's like, press this button and pray very, very fast. Exactly. (laughs) And that's basically all we need to do. But user-friendly, like, basically. It's very user-friendly. Just to point out, so obviously the poisoning, we think uh, Kosh just tripped. That's all that happened there. Oh, yeah, going back to that. The doctor apparently is under the Hippocratic Oath because he's going to do everything and anything he can to help this poor, defenseless Morlon, even to the point of opening its environmental suit when they explicitly told him not to. My question is, what about the other three guys who were around the table? I was wondering about the assistants as well. I wonder if they also will not be back for season one. I'm willing to uh, let that go in the name of because the plot said so. See, they didn't actually see inside. They were kind of off to the side. They didn't get, like, a head-on view. The lens in her gravity rings will never appear again. I have Unfortunately, known. because those were very cool. And I wonder what the others could do. Because that one ring can direct gravity waves, and three standard gravities is very uncomfortable, and six is enough to crush Jakar's rib cage. Yeah. I'm like, I love how you open... Six isn't actually that much, if you think about it. Uh, you know, fighter maybe, pilots maybe undergo that much acceleration a lot. Maybe nerds are weak. That's what I was thinking, too, actually. Baby gravity is different on Midbar. It's possible, except that they're... I like that they use the, the, the term solar hours. That was interesting. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah. At one point... Oh, for a solar yeah. year, yeah. at one point... Lieutenant Commander Takashima! ...says that she's going to let the Nard cruisers sit out there for a solar year. I do think it was... Now, obviously, I thought Laurel Takashima as a character was very stiff, but the moment where she told the... Now, the... the She's the lieutenant commander! She's the right hand. She's supposed to be stiff. But here's the thing. The Vorlon fleet coming at you is basically, like, God's pissed. Like, that's not a good situation to be in. Her response, tell them to get stuffed. I'm like, what, British? Like, get stuffed? That's your response. (laughs) That was great. That was great. She wants to lodge a formal complaint. <laughs> this will, of course, be reported to the highest authority. Exactly. Activate defense you grid, go- and they have, like, this little gun that comes out the side that says, I'll show them. Yeah. <laughs> those are, those Not are much of, of a grid there, is it, you think? Babylon, no. Babylon 5, at this point in its operation, cannot defend itself very well. And I don't believe we saw Star Furies in this one, but... The, the, no, we didn't. They're the Vipers, basically. Well, they were mentioned. Because yeah. Jeff, Jeff, I now I'm calling him Jeff because yeah. Jeff said that he would, but you know, he's the commander and so forth. But 
at one point he was saying that he would rather get in his ship, and he may have called it a Star Fury. Got I don't out. Know what a Star Fury is? It's a. It's a. It's yeah. It's a Viper. I, I know that because you just said it. I'm just saying they didn't mention it by name in it. They did. Okay. One well, thing I do want to point out is it's actually a really great scene. Londo as a character has so many sides. He's the funny guy. He's the tragic guy. You'll love him. You'll hate him. You'll you'll hit every different emotional point with the character of Londo. But the one particular line when he's in the casino when he realizes just where his race has has fallen. He has this line where he says, I'm here to grovel before your wonderful alliance in the hopes of attaching ourselves to your destiny. Like, Remora is my god, man. We've become a tourist attraction. We've forgotten how to bite. That that, that was such a great... We used to be sharks ourselves, you know. Yeah, and now it's Earth and Every, all the other races are going up and, and the Centauri Republic is going down and he thinks he knows how to fix it. That's the important thing about Londo. He thinks he knows how to fix it, but he has absolutely no power. And he has all the potential in the world. He has absolutely no power. He's this lowly ambassador to Babylon 5, which isn't that great of a gig. And he has absolutely no power at all. I would like to point out that the scene with Lita, Lita telepathically contacts Kosh in this movie. Which doesn't mean a thing to you, but it pops it's, up later in the. Yeah. About that, mm-hmm. we see that te- uh, she, as a telepath, is wearing gloves, mm-hmm. and she removes them, and she can improve the telepathic contact. She reaches her hand into the encounter suit, and all I can picture is Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs going, "I gotta reach my hand in there and do what?" People often say to me, "Mike, what's it feel like to reach your arm inside a cow's bottom?" You gotta push a little. You gotta push pretty hard. And I say, well, imagine a needle. Now imagine the eye of the needle. Now imagine threading that needle with a sausage. Something like that. <laughs> and I got to grab what? <laughs> like, I would not put my hand in there. And what, what no, the, I would either. The funny thing was, that's actually her real-life husband. But I don't know if they were married yet. But yeah. still, if he was in there, um, that could have been the turnaround moment. Turnaround. Every now and then I get a little bit lonely and you're never coming round. Turnaround. At this point, I'm just picturing Dalek. Apparently, physical contact boosts telepathy, which makes a certain sort of sense. I've seen yeah. that in a number of other things. I'm with Starfleet. It's, it's also important that she's wearing the, the gloves, which is a sigh. They, they wear gloves all the time. They were they, yeah. they 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 have excess gloves. They, they 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 bought too many, and now they make everyone wear them. I have written down here, mother of all spoilers, but we already got to that moment. We'll yeah, please don't spoil me. I'm, I'm actually really looking oh. forward to. You think they'd have known the thing was drilling into the side of the station? You'd notice that it came up. I mean, do they not have satellite? Yeah. Like, no, they, they not, not satellite. Um, satellites. It's not Dratus. Dratus is the VSG one. What's the real one? Scanners, but the thing is, they actually have to reconfigure. Radar, radar. But they have to reconfigure the scanners at the end of the episode to scan for energy signatures. I really size. liked. I liked how they did that too, because they, they actually yeah, pulled out circuit cool. boards and they had to write a new program for it. And- yeah, mm-hmm. we're on Star Trek. Cool. You know, check the internal sensors. They have stuff for everything. They don't have yeah. that here. You got a five mile station. They don't have sensors in every hole, so there is a minor hull breach. But it was probably. I still, I still think if something came up on the side. And was drilling a hole in the side so that something could access the station from outside. I think they'd have noticed, yeah. or they should have noticed. I was amused by the bit where they send something out to look for the oxygen leak because they can tell the oxygen is leaking, and that's destroyed. And is it? Oh, it hasn't found it yet. We seem to have lost contact. Okay, let's send another thing out. Get that destroyed instead. It's difficult to figure these things out, which I think 
I find it refreshing because usually it makes you pay attention. That's why I, I hypothesize that humans hadn't been in space very long at all. Well, yeah. their stuff spins. They don't even have the gravity yet. And there is actually another component of that which may explain that, but I can't say anything mm-hmm. about it yet because you're not far enough along in that. I'll tell you at some point. There is yeah. there is actually um there is actually another possible answer to that. A few plot questions I had. Okay, so you have the scene where, where Lita reaches into her soon to be husband, the freezer unit and realizes that Sinclair was the one that poisoned Kosh. He didn't trip, he was poisoned. And then she's Sinclair walks in, she's like, It's him, I saw it, I saw it and in the next scene the Vorlons know about it. My question was, I assume Jakar told them, but who told Jakar? Like, I wasn't yeah. sure how that became so public so I fast. I would assume that the way she yelled it, that anybody <laughs> overheard, any well, kind of spread, like, you know... Yeah, mean, there's six guys at the slot machines going, hmm, so what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Timmy needs help. When they run back. <laughs> well, the other thing too was if um, now this one may be explained as well. If Varner had warrants for his arrest, how did he get on the station in the beginning to start with? Because I remember he was actually scanned on camera as he was coming mm-hmm. onto the station at the very beginning. But there, I have I have a theory on that as well. But I don't know if that. I mean, it was very much as this guy is suspicious. Remember him? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we're zooming in on that guy again. Something's going to happen with him eventually. <laughs> yeah, because Garibaldi's like, you know, he could have been arrested. I'm like, then why can't you arrest him when he got here? If you knew he had warrants for his arrest. It makes oh, no sense. Did. Well, then you have the thing, too, where, okay, Kosh is poisoned, or he fell down, something happened, and like 18 hours later, like he, like Sinclair goes home, he, he probably has sex with his girlfriend there, they go On the frictionless sheets. And then yeah. like <laughs> six hours later, Ben wakes up, he's been poisoned, Jeff, and Jeff gets on his little combat, this is the commander, seal the station! I'm like, it's been eight hours, they may have left already. That is kind of weird. Although maybe it was just a quickie. Nice timing of Ben, though, to wait till they were finished. Well, it's like well maybe he was watching. He's as far away as possible from the monitor, too, so you have to, like, walk all the way over as well. Where was I going with that? Then oh, she, yeah. comes in, she comes up to him later while he's still on the phone with somebody, like, as if to make it, like, quite obvious what he's been doing. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I couldn't tell what she was wearing there either. I think no. I think it was actually that scene. There was a, the moment earlier where she's in his bed and he comes home and he hears something and he like rips the door open. I'm like, you're lucky he didn't shoot you. <laughs> like leave a note. Yeah. yeah, don't sneak into the private quarters of the captain or the commander or whoever is in charge. Although she seriously. Thinks, you know, she well, she didn't know he was a war. He was in a war at that point. <laughs> How does that not come up in conversation? Oh, I almost died. <laughs> Yeah, never. I think she knew he was in the war, but maybe not in that battle. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, how could she like, not? Because everyone who was capable was sent up in a ship, and most people died too who fought at the line. So maybe survivors at the line are not. Fair. Maybe maybe, fair maybe fair. he was. I mean, he could have been like in hospital, in the hospital or something like injured. But weren't survivors of the Battle of the Line paraded around as heroes? You're right, they were. And they didn't feel like heroes. He didn't. I mean, the thing which I loved about that scene is it was twofold. Number one, there was, it was all dialogue. So it's, it's the faces of the two characters the entire time. And they had the music playing in the background to give it a little bit more oomph. And, and the reason for that was number one, it was powerful. Number two, they probably didn't have any money for special effects to show the battle. Yeah. So. Well, here's a question. There's, uh, there's obviously a prequel movie, uh, in the beginning. Um, 
uh, would it be spoiling really to tell us if that is that the Battle of the Line or is that it, some other time? It, it will include the Battle of the Line. The, okay. Um, in the beginning, in the be- everything. Yeah, in the beginning is the story of the Earth Mimbari conflict and everything that happens around that time, told from the future, far beyond the Gathering. Okay. Um, so, oh, I, I wasn't asking for like an actual no, it, yeah, but it's details. You, but I just you, wanted to know. To, you will absolutely, um, you will abs- you will see the Battle of the Line. You will find out what occurred at the Battle of the Line, and obviously Sinclair. Oh, I love backstory. And Sinclair obviously blacked out for about yeah. a day, and then you have the Mimbari at the end saying there was a hole in your mind, which Delenn tries to put off as oh, it's just an insult. Uh, yeah, there's a, that there's, was obviously had more meaning yeah. than it actually. Right, and you have Delenn who is there as an observer. She doesn't want to get involved. Why is she observing? It's, it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff, and there's a whole story there as to why. That well, happens. I know what I assume. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember if I'm saying if I'm assuming this because I now know it's right from having seen it, but I know what that line makes me. Do you want to share it? Do you want to wait? Type it to me. Okay. Yeah, it gives it gives you the idea that she knew something either was going to happen or might happen that she wasn't supposed to interfere with, and then she sort of decides to anyway after getting the tirade from Carolyn. She has to love Carolyn. She like marches into Delenn's quarters and starts screaming at her. You bitch! Exactly. And so she runs in and lifts people out of the line of fire and takes yeah. them off to the other section. Yeah. Never again do I think you'll see Delenn. Walk in and fireman lift someone. It's like super, well, super Delenn. Yeah, you can share Delenn that. That's very, has that's very a, vague. Ryan, you'll understand this. Delenn has a great deal of physical strength. She can lift things. She can break things. You know what I mean. Yes. I know. <laughs> so, it's all right. Back to Kosh. There's a crazy line here thrown in at the end that just really bugged me. The doctor says that the counter agent to the poison worked even better than the doctor had hoped. And I wonder... Would that be because it's all a sham? I would wonder what is, be- what is better than alive? Like, if he, if he got better, what did they expect him to do? Turn well, I think he him? means it worked quicker. I, yeah, or than lower, they it lowered his cholesterol, you know, cleared up his acne. I mean, the, 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 it's just weird because we don't know what the hell. Mm-hmm. That would be embarrassing if they, it was a sham because the whole reason they managed to get her in is like, oh, he's poisoned. He won't remember a thing. He sits up after that. Yeah, I was here. <laughs> How did you sexually molest that? me on the operating table like that? <laughs> I, I, I just have to assume that he faked the whole damn thing, because I just don't see him getting it. Yeah, I don't understand yeah. it. I, I don't remember enough to understand it. I don't get it. So, and, and if we're confused, I can only imagine how you guys feel. It worked well enough for me because we know nothing yeah, about how invincible the Vorlons are supposed to be. It seems inconsistent with what's coming, but... I think it was just maybe a... That may just be hindsight, coloring your vision. Maybe. Entirely possible. There's actually a moment coming up later. Obviously, we find out that, that Del Varner was actually the guy that was hired by the Narn to bring the Changeling net to the station, and then the Membari has been using it to impersonate Leva and to impersonate Jeff, and then impersonate the, the maintenance dude who we killed. My thing was, I didn't understand. He couldn't get the Changeling net, because the Narn shipped to the dock, he brought the Changeling net over in that small ship that, like, clamped onto the side. And they said, you can't have a Membari come walking out of the Narn ship. My question was, I didn't understand that because... The idea being they were going to have the change on the Narn ship. Yeah, he couldn't change into a Narn. But, okay. The the, the man, the the suspicious man, had Mm -hmm. the thing. And so they couldn't 
give it to them so that he could change. If, if they'd had the thing with them already, then he would have just changed into a Narn. Varner came to Babylon 5 on the Narn ship. I basically, I got the impression that, like, they were going to hook up at a rest stop. Yeah. And then give him hmm. came they by did, himself with yeah, the net. Carter was late. Was he on mm-hmm. the Narn ship? No, no. He wasn't. He came by himself. That's the Mingari was on the Narn ship. The Mimbari yeah. was on the Narn ship. So how did they get the net to the Mimbari? Because Varner's body was found on Babylon 5. Yeah, but he met with a guy in the room and got killed in the fifth scene or something like that. So he was still alive. So he so, was carrying the net, handed it over to the guy, and got shot. So who delivered the net to the Mimbari? Varner did. Varner had it. He's the courier. He was yeah. supposed to meet with the Narn ship before they got there. He yeah, missed it, so he right. came to the station. So does the Mimbari had- go walking off the Narn ship? No, the Membari no, goes came, on and dri- drills the thing. That drilled thing. A okay, gotcha. Okay. Werner had his own ship completely unrelated. Right, that, was, that makes a lot more sense. Okay, I wasn't yeah. following exactly that. And it was only after the boarding ship attached itself to the hull that they agreed to let the scanners go on the darn ship. That was great CGI, though, when that ship came up and attached itself yeah. to the station. That was like, what, four pixels, the entire thing? That was incredible. Yeah, I was actually thinking is it was very rudimentary. Yeah, like <laughs> the, uh, it was bad. It was very yeah, bad. It, was, it was pretty bad. And, and you have to put it in perspective. This is early '90s. There, there was a, something on there about how it had been on for up for a Hugo Award, yeah. and it had been lost to Jurassic Park, which just tells you that this is right at the beginning of the of the of the really hardcore. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it won the Hugo. It won a Hugo in season two, and I don't know if it did in season three. It did in season uh, two. And the Hugo actually appears on screen at some point. It's the only, it's the only time a Hugo Award has actually been seen on the show for which it was won. So that's awesome. Yes, yeah, so you have a few of those things there. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, very, one of the very things cool. going forward, you definitely want to pay attention to what's going on in the background. Yes. Well, there's actually a couple of moments in the first season where after um, Scarlet on the forums is just watched the first season, and when it was over, I'm like, "Did you catch this? No. Did you catch this? No. Did you catch this? No. There's a lot of <laughs> when you do your rewatch the show, like tonight, like I saw a major spoiler, and you'll see major, 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 major stuff that's dropped. Hmm. And of course, the entire movie ends with Delenn going, There once was a man from Nantucket. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty classy. You've been talking to Garibaldi again. Mr. Garibaldi. Yes. I can't yeah. speaking of uh, Speaking of good lines, I liked the line uh, the doctor had about having looked into the face of a Orlon. Mm. And nothing's the same anymore. And I actually believe the first season ends on the same words. Not to spoil, but I think there's actually an episode where someone where ends with saying nothing's the same anymore. So that was one of those moments where I'm like, wow, that was planned. Yeah. But yeah, so obviously at the end of the movie, you find out that it was the Mimbari who was behind it. He was hired by the Narn. He repeats to Sinclair, there's a hole in your mind. The hole in his mind, that missing day, is very important. And you will not see Takashima, Ben, the doctor, whose last name I can't remember, or Lee. Kyle. Got, um, Kyle, is it Ben Kyle? Kyle, Kyle yeah. yeah. You have Dr. Kyle, Takashima, and Lita. You will not see. Hmm. You'll have replacement characters. Some of them may come back. Some of them may not. Interesting. And I believe the actually the replacement from for Lita will actually be pay, played by, at the time, uh, Mrs. Jerry Doyle, Garibaldi's real-life wife, I believe, hmm. played her uh, replacement there. Good I mean, it's a, 
it's a really solid series with kind of a clunky beginning. You can tell where they were going with it. They changed a lot of it, but it's really interesting for me to go back and kind of see what it looks like at the beginning. So I'm interested in having you guys along for this. I'm wondering what I would think if I watched the show from the beginning. I probably joined the show in the middle of the action in season yeah. two, season three. So it's interesting to go back and see the very beginning of it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going through it because, like you keep saying, how good it is and I trust your taste. I'm looking very much looking forward to the what exactly all this, where this is going. I mean, there's obviously a lot of foreshadowing in this first episode. You know, you made a good point about this being kind of before the, the if you want to call it the age of serialized television, mm-hmm. talking about Deep Space Nine as well. Those, those are really the first yeah. mostly serialized Star Trek series. And Well, you lose this, something as well, because I saw this one first when I see parts of Lost that I think, oh, that's very much like Babylon 5. Unfortunately, the thing for the show is that you guys who watch it now might be like, oh, this this reminds me a lot of Lost. Well, this came first. So a mm-hmm. lot of stuff that you see in here loses its splendor after a while because it's so uh-huh. consistently done now. But this was, it's like watching Star Trek, the original series. So what? Well, at the time, this was really something. Yeah. Like, it was the first show. But now a lot of shows do that same type of thing. So it kind of is one of, one of a million. So, I mean... The first season, in the beginning, there's some clunkers in there. There's some great stuff. There's some plot points that are brought out that are dropped for various reasons. There's characters which will be dropped for various reasons. The first season's a work in progress, but there's some really, really, really great moments in there. So try the show, and hopefully you'll stick with it. But this show, it, it's, it's an incredibly, incredibly solid show, and I hope everyone enjoys it. What are we covering for the next podcast? We will be watching from Midnight on the Firing Line all the way to Signs and Portents. And one thing about this series is that each season has a title, and the title for season one is actually Signs and Portents. And it's the, I believe it's the 13th episode, so we'll be doing 13 episodes, and we'll review them in one podcast. Signs and Portents is the point where you realize there is a series arc, and there's very large storyline that's coming together. So you'll get that by the end of the next batch of episodes that we cover. So there's some good ones in there. I'm, I'm remembering one clunker right now. It's like the third or fourth episode. It involves the Doctor and something that's organic, and I just apologize right now for making you all watch that. But there's some is, other... it, is it as bad as Black Market? It's, it's called Infection, and I'm very sorry. Episode four. Episode four. you, you got to kind of watch it, but... <laughs> it's weird. It's it's very very. It's very. And you'll meet a guy named Veer who will make up for the whole thing. I'll put it to that one. So, yeah. Uh, with that, anyone have any final thoughts you want to throw there? I kind of said my final thoughts. Aaron, would you like to type anything to us? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm okay. With that, we're the Puffle Exchange. Hopefully, I got the name of the podcast right in the beginning. And uh, have a good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Cool, we do the puff works. There you go. And there was much rejoicing. There was. This is true. Scott's like, holy crap, this is not how we do it on Pomerfic Weekly. This oh, was it's more still on is. topic than any episode of Potter. Exactly. Well, we didn't have Chi or Jed here to get us off a topic with the that frictionless sheets. That passed almost yeah. without comment. That's amazing. I'm so surprised. Quite like, how would you stay on the bed? Obviously, I'm picturing the. Mimb- I'm sorry. I'm picturing Mimbari. Mimbari beds. Right beds. <laughs>
the Mimbari, just so you know, sleep at 45 degree angles. That's not a spoiler. It has <laughs> okay. It's not a spoiler. So in one episode, a human has to arrive in their ship, and he's trying to, like, stand, and he keeps sliding off the damn thing. <laughs> he lands up in a heap on the floor every time. He I want to talk about Vorlods. Deathroll and I will just talk for a few more minutes, and we'll... You're editing this time. Actually, it's Deathroll. This is my first edit. What do you think so far? So, uh, all right, have a good night, guys. Good night, guys. Okay, so we're going to uh, continue. Yeah, we'll continue the podcast for a few minutes here. Uh, Deathrill and I have obviously watched the entire series. There are a couple points that we want to maybe make here before we forget them in later episodes. So if you have not watched Beyond the Gathering and don't wish to be spoiled, wish to stop listening now. If you have not watched Beyond the Gathering and don't wish to be spoiled, stop listening now. Stop listening now. Stop listening now. One of the points I was going to make earlier was in season one, you find out that there is a mole on the station and there's a traitor. And in season two, you find out that there is a character who has an artificial personality. In the original creation of the of the plot, it was originally going to be the same character. It's obviously split between two different characters. It's split between Talia Winters and Garibaldi second in command in the canon and the way it actually worked out. Originally, it was going to be Lieutenant Commander Takashima. And the reason for that was that the actress who played Laurel was expected to move on to movies after a year or two, so she wouldn't want to sign on for an extended period of time, so they we're going to obviously write her character out that way. And it's actually left in there that there's a scene where Delvarner uses the access code of Laurel Takashima at one point. Yeah, um, you can the pause function comes in very handy for seeing things like this. Yeah, so as I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself that the character of Lieutenant Commander Takashima obviously was written to be a mole in this episode, but now that you remove that plot point, is Takashima still a mole? If so, a mole for what? <laughs> you know, it doesn't really make any sense anymore. No, but then, it really doesn't. But, but then you're there, thinking, there's so many things in here that there's nobody else other than Takashima who yeah. could have done it. Who like, how did the, the Vorlots again? find out? Yeah, who? how did the Vorlots find out? Who stopped the elevator? Who erased the record? Who got Del Varner onto the station? Who maybe got yeah. the security? There, there's a lot of different things there that don't make a hell of a lot of sense until you figure that bit of it out. Obviously, the fact that this is the episode where Lita first encounters Kosh very intimately. And obviously, that's something that... that that's reverber- huge. That, that's huge. That reverberates a lot. It becomes her <clears throat> whole character, yeah, essentially. And Londo is... Is such an amazing point. Odd, my God. It was weird to see him in this because normally he's so bombastic and everything. And now that we can speak with spoilers, he seems very different from how he's portrayed later because doesn't he tell Veer, don't let them make you a laughing stock? Take whatever position you have and make the absolute utmost of it. I don't see that philosophy in the character at this point in time. Well, I think in this point, he's a very humiliated, very empty guy, and he gets his mojo back, so to speak. And Do you think he hasn't come to that realization yet? Well, I think, I think he's at the point now where he is a, he's a defeated man, and he puts on this Mr. Garibaldi, you know, kind of <laughs> mentality, but that, he, that it's a front. Because he's yeah. really, he's the guy who's trying to put up the fake exterior. And I think when he starts getting it back, he cautions Veer, never become like I once was. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I read that into it. But and I think the character may actually say this, but he starts the series off with no power and the ability to make any choice he wants. And he ends the series with all the power he could ever want, but he has no and choice. And he can't make any choices. And yeah. He, he can't make he any does choices. It, yeah. yeah. And it's, 
it's obviously you'll have Mr. Morden come up. Who's actually in the episode. Who's in the episode, not Mr. Morden. I Morgan. love it. And he has lies. He has lies. Morden will, will ask everyone what they want, and Londo's the one who actually answers the question, because he does his entire future society at that point. And what he wants is very clearly shown in this episode. He wants the Republic back. He wants the good old days. And And he doesn't actually say it as such, but all I can think is what he says in later times. I'm just a washed up old Republican dreaming of better days. And he wants to go back and Jakar in this one, ultimate prick, you know, on the, on the rise. He's, he's, he's wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. He's smuggling people onto the station. He's, he's dealing in weapons. And we find out from in the beginning, he's good at dealing with weapons. And you see later on he becomes you know the philosopher king almost and just to see the transition of this character and to see him with Leva and to see that this is where they started off and this is also where they end but with the whole yeah the bookend yeah the bookend the genetic code and the, and the thresher and the in the, in the uh, pleasure threshold the pleasure threshold give them frictionless sheets yeah see we get it now but you see that progression and that's that's huge as well and I was really enjoying Sinclair here too, and obviously Sinclair. I could not. Let's talk about the huge effing spoiler. Kosh calls him Valen. He calls him Antilza Valen. That is a this huge, 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 huge spoiler. And and what's fucked up is at this point Sinclair doesn't know he's Valen. Right. And it's not even Sinclair he said it to. I know. So the Mimbari must have been like, "What?" I hadn't actually considered that. Yeah. You're right. He's, he's a Midbari under there. He knows who Valen is. Unfortunately, he blew up at the end, so he didn't get a chance. So. I know, but oh my god. Danielle, before she watched the show, I told her about this great show I saw, and I told her the, the secret of Sinclair and everything, and when she started watching it, I'm like, you're going to love this. She's like, oh, you already told me three years ago. I'm like, you remember that? <laughs> I was so pissed I spoiled. Which I believe, as we get to it later on, was how the show was supposed to originally end, but then they changed the Sinclair arc around, and Obviously, they moved that to the middle of season three and stuff. But yeah, so lots of uh, little moments in here that you know, are big ass spoilers or don't make a whole lot of sense. Now that they changed, the it's plot huge out. foreshadowing, and I'm just so impressed by it. Well, at this point, you don't know who Valen is, but and you wouldn't even pick it up because you don't know if he's just saying hi there. Yeah, well, until Zai, you don't know who it is until much later. I'm not even sure what that does mean. Until Zai is Ranger 1, is the head of the Rangers, is the position that you, know, uh, you were the one who was, you were the one who is, and you were the one who shall be. Was the yeah, one who was. Yes. So, yeah, you know, and obviously, Delan, Delan, Ivanova, Sheridan, they're all Until Zai at some point. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, uh, very so, interesting stuff. So, uh, why would the assassin proceed with his mission then at that point? Because the, Vor- the first thing the Vorlod says is Valen. Wow. Well, I, obviously, I had more time to like think about this and talk about this. Well, then obviously that, that shows that Kosh can't see through the changeling net because he's, he thinks it's Sinclair and he's not yeah, like, he's not dude, who looks like until Zavalen. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was interesting as well. So. Yeah. And this also comes up, I mean, the Vorlons know everything about all of this that's going on, because after they take Babylon 4 back in time... Bosch is there, I believe. Yeah, Bosch they've got... Valen is there, and he's got two Vorlons there with him, so... No, I think Kosh is one of the Vorlons. Is Kosh one of the Vorlons? Okay, if so, that's awesome, but if so, why is he addressing him as Valen when he knows he's not Valen yet? Not the one. Not the one. Not the one. They got... T- well, maybe they got tight at the time, and he's just used to calling him Big V! I don't know. Oh. Oh, jeez. So, oh, a couple of small holes in there, but still yeah. huge. Kosh knew him chronologically from a thousand years ago, recognizes him again. 
but why he would call him that, knowing that Sinclair doesn't yet know that. Maybe assuming he, like, you know, Aaron and Scarlett are like, what? What'd you call me? So maybe yeah. he won't get it either, so... Real minor point. Do the rules about unauthorized scans apply to non-humans? Like, do you need authorization to scan an alien? That's actually a very good question. No, there's an episode later on where um something with Veer, where Veer is scanned by another... Yeah, Centauri uh, telepath. Because a human can't do it or something. There, there is something. No, aren't they on Centauri Prime at that point? No, they're, at, they're on the station. They want to know what Londo knows. Um, it's Ward Rifa has some scans. Oh, uh, yes, yes. I can't remember. Yep, so Takashima gone, Kyle gone. He's mentioned again. No, I believe um Franklin goes to work for him, or he retires and Franklin takes his other job. That's Franklin's thing. He just follows Kyle around taking all of his old jobs. Hey, that's what a true protege does. Absolutely. So with that, we're again the Puffo Exchange, and we'll yeah. see you back for whatever our next episode is, and the next Babylon 5 one will be the top 13 episodes. Good night. Good night.